I could not believe what I was seeing. I could have filled the back of his head with 556, which is an absolute joke. Well, it's not an ape, because if the Sasquatch was an ape, we would already have one. What are these elusive hominids that stalk the wilderness? Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevning. Welcome to the mystery. Welcome to Creek Devil. Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of Creek Devil. Everybody's been asking for Chris in Tennessee, so Chris is with us along with Paul. How are you doing this morning, fellas? Good. Doing good. Doing good. Well, Tom, I'm going to have you kick this off, if that's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Chris, uh, good to have you back. Um, you got a bit of a fan good club out back. there? What's that? Yeah, uh, I hear that. Yeah, it's good to be back. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I, I never, I never thought that. <clears throat> excuse me. People want to hear me talk. <laughs> well, they they do, yeah. And you got some really wow. good. Uh, actually, you know, the thing is, you do have good information, good updates. So I'm just going to hand it over to you. And I don't know what's going on, but tell us uh, what's the latest news uh, in Tennessee with Bigfoot. All right, uh, I got a college. <laughs> Several months back, well, a few months back, me and Paul, you know, we, we'll talk backwards and forwards. He'll kind of help me out and jog my memory and and stuff on on the matters and everything. But there was a woman called me, and uh, <clears throat> another guy had told her that you know it sounded sounded something like a a squatch was messing with her stuff. He told he gave her my number, and I don't know him from Adam. I don't you know like I don't I didn't know him from Adam, and uh, she. Uh, I went to her house. She lives probably about maybe four miles from where I live. And uh, I went in, and she's got a sliding glass door. It's a double-wise sliding glass door. The sliding glass door points towards the towards the patch of woods. And what they were doing, there was a little Chevy pickup there, and they would just take their trash and throw it in the bed, you know. That way they could take it off the next day or the day after. And uh, she said... <laughs> She said that she went out to throw another bag in and was going to take it off and got to looking and there wasn't no trash in there. So she figured her husband had took it off. So she just left that bag in there. And when he got in from work, she said, I thank you for taking the trash off. He said, I didn't take no trash off. And uh, so she said, well, wonder what happened to the trash? Because I got to look and they, you know, most the time if a buyer gets it or something like that, they, they're going to go ahead and tear it open right there. You know, that's the way, that's the way they do around here anyway. Or a, a, an old dog, and a dog can't, you know, unless he's a great dane or something, you know, he ain't going to get up in the bed of a truck. And uh, so she got or to looking. And on up, yeah. On, on, <laughs> yeah. And on, uh, coon, on up, on up above their house, there's a little patch of woods. And right in the little patch of woods, she walked on up there to see, and right in the middle of the patch of the woods was, was the bags of trash. So she said that she got to looking, and the, the grass was pretty high, and it had been pushed down pretty good. You couldn't see any tracks, but, you know, you could see where it, something big had been through there. 
And uh, so she got her trash and took put it back to the truck, and they, they took it off that evening. And uh, I said, uh, later on that night, they, they were in bed. It was probably about 11 p.m. So they, they got up because they heard something outside sound like it was next to the truck. It was just pecking on the side of the truck. And so they walked out there, and when they walked around the corner, they thought they'd seen something black, but it flashed. I mean, it, you know, it disappeared quick. And uh, so they, they, you know, they turned the lights on and they shined the lights around to make sure that it wasn't an intruder or something. He had his gun. And uh, so they, they just let it rest. Well, the next night, they started getting a bad, bad feeling. You know how you get these bad feelings? It felt like something was watching them. And uh, so they, they finally went and got a uh, <clears throat> a big blind to go across their sliding glass window or the door. And I asked her, I said, do you care if I walk, you know, if I walk your property? She said, no, go right ahead. Well, this little patch of woods, it, 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 it's not... It's not very wide, just a small patch of woods, and then there's a field. You walk across that field, and then there's a big patch of woods. So I, I could see the trail. There was a trail backwards and forth, you know, coming to that, and it was, it was leading right down to their sliding glass door. So I thought, well, I'll walk this, you know, I'll walk this trail. And the, the moon was probably about three quarters, so you could see. So I, I didn't have my light on until I got to the other patch of the woods. When I got to that patch of the woods, uh, there was a little spring there. I had to cross it. And I walked, I probably walked probably about 30, 30 more yards past that, and I started getting a bad feeling. And most of the time when I get that bad feeling, it's probably one around. And uh, I thought, well, I'm just going to suck it up and, you know, and go on. And I, I had a walking stick with me. I always carry a walking stick. I eased on out through there. I, I'd say I went probably about another 70 yards and there was a log there. So I sat down on that log and, you know, it was just real, real quiet. I had my light on. I turned my light off and it was real, real quiet. And probably about five minutes after my light was turned off, the woods come alive. I mean, you can hear, you start hearing whoops. You start hearing screams. I mean, man, there's more than one. I'm, 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 my guesstimation was about five. And, uh, so I got up, <laughs> I got up from the log and started back out. And as I was walking out, I could probably, probably to my left and to my right, I could hear footsteps. Every time I'd take a step, it'd take a step. Every time I'd take a step, it'd take a step. And I'd stop and it'd stop. I thought, yep, I know exactly what this is. And, uh, I stood there for a second, and there was a rock, probably about as big as my fist, landed probably, I'm going to say, about three three foot from me, behind me. And I figured that they wanted me out of there. So I got on out of there and crossed that log. And I ain't joking. When I got about midway to that field, I did, I did run. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> and I made it, made it back to my Jeep, and I left. Well, as I was leaving, she called me. She said, uh, do you know what it was? I said, yes, ma'am. I sure do. I said, what that guy told you, probably a Sasquatch. I said, it was. I said, but there's more than one. I said, probably about five of them.
And she said, well, what do you suggest I do? I said, don't leave a trash out. I said, don't leave a trash out. I said, if you've got a light, like a motion light or any kind of light, I said, leave it on and they'll stay away from you. So she said, okay, thanks. Well, her other neighbor lives about, I'm going to say about, probably about two miles above her. And him and his wife was having the same trouble. And, uh, so she told her, she, she called me, and I, I told her, I said, I'll just go ahead and tell you probably what it is. I said, you're going to think I'm crazy. I said, it's probably a Sasquatch. I said, because that's what they were having trouble with down there. And uh, I, talk, I talked to her for a little while because she's interested in the subject. Because her grandma had always told her, you know, if, if she's ever out in the woods, I mean, not, not to go to the woods after dark or a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot would get her. And so uh, her grandma must have knew something. And uh, she was interested in that. And I told her about the show. I said, you know, you can listen listen to Will's show. I said, they've got a lot of good information on Will's show. And so she said, okay. And I didn't think her husband was there. But before I got to my Jeep, he hollered at me. He was standing He was standing uh, over, over next to his truck. He'd been smoking a cigarette. And uh, he told me, he said, uh, I mean, he's shaking and stuff, you know. There's tears in his eyes. And he said, you're going to think I'm crazy. I said, no, I said, I probably won't. He said, but he said, I, he said, I overheard you tell her about a Bigfoot. He said, I seen it. He said, uh, he said, it was, he said, I walked almost face to face with it. He said, because I was walking around the house. He said, I did He said, I, I very seldom use the light around the house. And he said, I was walking around the house to go into the garage. He said, and I walked face to face with it. He said, I mean, face to face. He said, I could reach out and touch it. And, uh, he said, uh, said it's hair. He said, he didn't have no hair on his face. Said, but, uh, he said, his eyes looked like it sunk back in his head. He said, but it, it's arms and legs were massive. And he said, he said, the only thing it done, he said, well, just stood there and looked me up and down and turned and, and walked away. And he said, I hadn't told her that yet. He said, but it, he said, it done something to me. I said, it will, man. And he said, he said, do you think I'm crazy? I said, no, no, I know. You know, I, I said, I've seen them before too. That's just perfectly normal. <laughs> Your reaction. <clears throat> well, it's perfectly normal as normal can be, right? <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Right. We got we had a similar situation here in Oregon where a couple the guy had they they lived in this property on the coast for on twenty, thirty years. And apparently the guy would walk around the house and there was one right in front of him. And he put the house up for sale the next day, I guess, or very shortly thereafter. Uh, <laughs> But it wasn't, it wasn't probably, it was probably wasn't, it probably about a week after that, I got another call. And this, this time, instead of being up the road, it was kind of down the road, but it was still probably about, it's probably about uh, two miles from where I live, but it was down along the river. An old farmer, he uh, called me and said, I hear, he said, I ain't going to discuss this over the phone. He said, uh, you care to meet me at my house? I said, well, sure, you know, I'll, I'll come see you. And uh, he told me, he said, uh, he said, come up here and look. And he said, it was a half a track. 
look, you know, looked like half of it had been destroyed, but you could see the toe marks. And he said, uh, he said, there ain't nobody around here goes barefoot. And he said, he said that we know we have a lot of uh, Spanish Americans that work around here, you know, in the tomato fields and stuff. He said, but it's not time for that yet. This was back in early, early spring. And uh, he said, what I'm calling you about, he said, I have a, a, a big green, the big green dumpsters, you know, the, the trash guys come through and pick up and empty and stuff. He said, I've got two of those. He said, and I got to missing them the other day. He said, so I thought somebody's playing a prank on me. He said, so yeah, I looked and looked and looked. He said, I couldn't find them nowhere. And he said, so he said, I called, I called the city and they brought two more out. And, uh, he said, I filled them up. He said, he said, and I threw a lot of old meat that I had, you know, in the freezer away. He said, cause it had thawed. I didn't want to eat it. And, uh, he said, uh, they got to be missing. And he said, but I found them. He said, they were half a mile away in a field. He said, destroyed. He said, uh, I know nobody would have done something like that. He said, especially over rank meat. And he said, uh, do you think that one of these can, I said, yes. He said, that barrel was heavy. He said, you know, cause it takes, it takes a darn truck to lift it up, you know, to dump it most of the time. And he, he said, uh, so you think, you think that a, one of those was strong, strong enough to do that? So oh, yeah, but it was a plastic container, but it was, you know, it, it was tore to pieces. I mean, tore two pieces and, uh, there wasn't the wrapping meat was there, but there wasn't no meat in it. And uh, he 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 said, "What do you suggest I do?" I said, "Well, I really don't know because you know you've got to set your trash out for the guys to come get it." I said, "This, you know, maybe maybe wait till like you know you hear them coming down the road that morning and set them out." That's the only thing I know to do. And he said, "He said, well, I've got a light here at my house." He said, and "There's a bar light that stays on down there." And uh, I told him, I said, well, you know, <laughs> you've done all you, you can do. And uh, uh, before all this had happened, there was another farmer that lived probably, I'm going to say, I'm going to say three miles above him that, that something was living in his barn. And I, th- I think I spoke about this the last time where they had a truck come out and uh, the law had the road shut down. And one of my, one of his neighbors went out and asked what was going on. And he, he told him that uh, he couldn't, he couldn't talk about it right now. And, uh, that guy said that it was like a, one of those big ambulances, except it had a big, big wheelbase on it and a big, a longer bed than they normally do. And it went out. So what do you think it was up to yeah. Chris? If you, had to, <clears throat> if you had to hazard a guess. I'd say, I'd say I'd say that one that done all the damage down there was probably living in that barn for what it was doing. And uh, I'd say that one of those people down there seen it and called the law. And the law probably walked up on it or seen its tracks and knew what it was and was trying to keep it hush-hush. That's what I believe. Yeah, do you think was the women out there uh, off the cornfields? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, good food source. You think 
went in. <clears throat> I believe it. I've got a close friend that lives close to, to that. He's one. And this has been, this has been, he said that he, that there's a couple boys that live. Did you uh, get a picture of it by chance? 
Yes, I, I've got a picture of it. I sure do. Oh, and I'll try yeah. to send that in. I'll try to send that in to you guys here after we get done here. Who who but, has uh, the tooth now? Uh, my friend. Okay. That guy I was telling you about that. Yeah, he's got the tooth. He he said I'm gonna put that up. He said that's. He said I'm pretty sure it's from one of them Sasquatches, ain't I? Probably is. And he told me not to mention his name, so I won't. <laughs> I won't mention his name. But I haven't <clears> actually <throat> gotten to physically see it, but I've seen the pictures, and it and it certainly does look uh, the genuine article. Yeah, I'd like to see mm-hmm. it. Yeah, absolutely. No, it sounds like mm-hmm. it. And um, okay, well, yeah, go ahead. Uh, continue on. <laughs> talk, uh, Chris. <clears throat> talk about the night that uh, you you went up and uh, decided to uh, record some noise. <laughs> oh, that night. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, I went up and uh, up at the first. It's the first creek crossing. Uh, on up above it is what where they call the birthplace. And it's it's just a little campsite. Used to, like I say, you could drive all up the creek. You could cross all seven creek crosses, you know, in the four wheel drive. And they cut that out, of course. But uh, back then. You could drive up there, you know, and it was a pretty good sized campsite. I think Paul's, yeah, Paul's seen it. It's a, you know, it's a good, good campsite. Yeah. There's a lot of hickory and oak trees and stuff like that around there in that area. And, uh, and this is, this is national forest, remember? Yes. And, uh, I went, went up there. I had my light on. Of course, it was, you know, you could still see because the moon, the moon was probably about half. You could still see. <clears throat> I, I went ahead and, you know, used my light and uh, got up there and there's a log that sits way back up there next to the bank. Well, I, I sat down on that log and just cut the light out. And I'm going to say probably about 10 minutes, I heard some screaming and hollering and screaming and hollering. I mean, some, I mean, I mean, some bad screaming and hollering. I don't know if they were, I don't know if it's like a gang fight or or if it was, if they just, I don't know, mating or what they were doing. But I sat there and it kind of, it kind of slipped up on me because by the time I heard the, the first hollering scream, by that time they were already down there close to me. And, uh, I sat there and, and listened as long as I could. And then I finally, I finally made my way out of there, but uh, there's a bunch of leaves, you know, it, I think it was kind of like in the fall and there was a bunch of leaves. I know you could have heard me coming, coming running out of there. Cause, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> time, I've heard by the time I got, and yeah. <laughs> by, by the time, by the time I got halfway down through there, you know, I, I pretty much run <laughs> after I felt, felt safe. <clears throat> yeah. It, it'll but, definitely you know, make the hair on your body stand. Hi. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh you know you know a lot a lot of people this 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 is to show how how much that you think you're prepared that you're not. Uh, Robin's cousin, see there's a tale around here that I've been told ever since I was about nine years old that there are two wagon loads full of Confederate silver lost up there. And everybody around here, all the elders have told me the same story. 
and uh, they they said that it was next to a rock, and the rock had an engraving of a coon and a, and a fish on it. And my papa told me about it, and he told me that his cousin found it one time, and he was picking blackberries. And this was in Longarm, picking blackberries, and uh, he uh, he said that there was a big, big, big Indian walked down on him, and he said he passed out. And when he passed out, when he come to, he was in a different place. And so, you know, I, I believe them because I've heard that story, like I said, since I was nine, and, and nothing's changed about it. And uh, so Robin's cousin, his name's James, but we all called him Pooh. I mean, that's what we've called him ever since he was little. He, I took a week off, and he, 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 said, he said, let's go look for that silver. <laughs> I, I knew what he was wanting to look for because he – he heard me talk about the Bigfoot before. And I said, are you sure you want to go? He said, yeah. So we was going to go the next morning and get up about six and go up there. Well, we was excited and couldn't go to sleep. So we left at 2.30, got up in the long arm, closed the doors and locked them on the Jeep. And there was one screamed up on the ridge. And I mean, it, it, it seemed like it went on and on and on and on forever. And uh, he... He said, did you hear that? I said, yeah, I kind of wish I didn't. <laughs> and and uh, so we just kept on going up the trail. Instead of going right up, you know, we was going to go over to the left of the falls. We went up to the falls and climbed them and got to going on that trail up through there. And about every, every 10, about every 20 yards, there was a tree that had been broke. The tree would probably be about... I see three to four inches around had been broke and some of them had been twisted and broke all the way up through there. And, uh, he, he, he said, uh, he said, it just me. He says, them trees broke like that. Oh, I said, yeah. He said, they're in a straight line. I said, yeah. He said, well, why do that? I just looked at him. <laughs> he said, okay. And there's another way you can go. You can go to the right or the left. So we decided to go to the left. Had to cross the creek and go to the left. Got on up in there, and there's a blackberry patch up in there. And uh, I figured maybe that, you know, we might be getting close. But uh, there was a big, big rock up there. And, uh, I mean, I mean, it was a humongous, it was a big boulder. We climbed up on it, and it was still warm from where, where the sun had been on it. And we, we laid, we, you know, we kind of laid there for a few minutes, and, we got off that and we started going on up the ridge and uh, he was probably two foot behind me and we stopped to rest and there was a rock about as big as your fist landed probably about three foot behind him. And he, he looked at me and I seen the rock and I told him, I said, it's time to go. And uh, we heard, we heard a barred owl holler out, which it wasn't a barred owl. He said, he said, did that owl sound like it had a deep voice? I said, that wasn't an owl. And uh, he said, oh. He said, well, he said, will we be okay? I said, if we just ease our way on out of here, I said, we probably will. And uh, he he took off running a little ways, and I hollered at him, don't, don't run. About that time, when he when he done that, you could hear something come behind us. And it was 
it was moving on behind us. We, I mean, it was close. And uh, we kept coming down the mountain, and it kept following, and it kept getting closer and closer. And I've got a bad knee, and going down that hill, it just felt like a knife was jabbing up in my, you know, up under my knee, and I'd, I'd forgot my leave. And I told him, I said, I'm going to have to rest a minute. He said, man, that thing, I said, I'm going to have to rest. I said, if I don't, I said, I ain't going to make it out of here. He said, if you don't come on, we ain't going to make it out of here. I said, well, I said, if he's going to get me, he's going to get me. I said, I got to stop. So it stopped, and I shined my light behind us. And I'm going to say about 40 yards behind a big oak tree, you could see the steam coming out where he was breathing. He was hiding behind, he would stay hid behind a tree, but you could see his breath. And uh, he said, uh, he said, we're going to get killed, ain't we? Get, I said, as long as you don't run, we'll be okay. I said, do not run. I said, stay behind me. And so we made it back to the creek crossing, made it through that, then went by all those little trees that had been broke. And it was, it was, I mean, it, it got closer then. And you could just hear it growling going on and so we made it back to the files and i told him i said you go ahead and go on down there you know get on around fossils but be careful because it's slick and he made he made it down and then i come to the to there and i made it down i told him i said he'll leave now he said why i said he just said escort us out this is all i was doing and uh so the more than we took we probably took about another went about another 10, 15 yards, and you could hear it. It turned around, and you could hear it taking. It took off running back up the ridge. And uh, by the time we got to the jeep, when we got back to the jeep, he kissed the jeep. <laughs> <laughs> he said, ne- "He said never again, never again." And uh, <laughs> so I, I told him, I said, "Yeah, I said I thought I was prepared for that too." I said, "But I wasn't. That was for sure." But yeah. Chris, hey, talk about they, our they uh, fishing trip. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, our fishing trip. Yeah, me and Paul went fishing up there. He slayed the trout. I didn't. I didn't catch nothing. But uh, as as we was up there, uh, we don't. We went to we went to the place above Second Bridge. And we went on. We was up at Long Arm fishing right in there, and uh, I heard a faint whoop, and uh, I asked Paul, "Did you hear that?" He said no. He said he said I, he said he couldn't hear. You know he he, he can't hear. And uh, we we you know we fished there a little while, and I started getting uneasy feeling. So I thought, well, I ain't gonna tell Paul. So we'll just you know we'll just go into another fishing spot. And we went we went down the creek to another good spot. And that's, well, we had to go back and got, forth because the the creek had been stocked that last time, so there were a lot of other people fishing. Yeah, yeah. The as as we went back down, that's where he caught his first fish. Didn't really didn't really hear nothing hear nothing there. We got down to the the second bridge, and uh, I heard two more <clears throat> two more faint faint whoops, and uh, I thought and I heard a holler way back up on the ridge, and uh, again I asked Paul, I said, "Did you hear that?" <clears throat> he said, "No." <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, I'm kind of dangerous in the forest because I don't hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, 
the, well, then we the went up there section. to the end. Yeah, to the very end. Yeah. Didn't yeah, really hear nothing at the end. Well, remember, we went okay. walking up there. You know, we walked for, I don't know, 50, 100 yards, you know, yeah. up the creek. And, mm-hmm. you know, just, just trying to hear anything. And, I, and I'm sure that uh, you heard something. I may have, but, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm hard of hearing in one ear, so my hearing's a little faulty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, cause we, we got back <clears throat> down there to the Jeep, and uh, and Chris got one of his bad feelings and said, it's time to go. <laughs> and I don't argue with that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any desire to be a sack lunch. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've been I've been around them long enough to know, you know, I, I when I get them feelings, it's time to go. But uh, basically, all all the all they've been doing around here <clears throat> right now has been getting in people's trash. But uh, I I hadn't heard nothing in a in a while about it. So I was telling Paul, you know, you you might go you might go maybe a month or two <clears throat> don't hear nothing and then all of a sudden it all breaks loose you know you have four or five reports and <clears throat> well, it's been pretty hot too so they they have not been active yeah. because it's been like 90 degrees and uh until we started getting these uh hurricane leftovers uh fred and mm-hmm. ida we weren't really getting any water so the the creeks were pretty low anyway yeah and uh, then by, by them being dinner i mean by them taking the trash down by the river. I figured that's, you know, they're staying down by the river right now because I know, I know they're probably pretty, pretty ill right now. It being so hot, you know? Yeah. But the weather the last couple of days is, has really been changed. You can feel fall in the Mm -hmm. air. So. I remember my papa used to tell me and and all the elders up through there, they used to tell me, see, if it's real, real hot, you stay out of the woods. (laughs) <laughs> did they you tell know, they, uh, hey uh chris did they tell you why yeah because because i it's, it's i guess well they've got so much hair on them and everything they're, they're all grew up in eel i mean they're you know real eel hateful that time of year oh interesting okay yeah now winter winter time you know so you can come and go as you please but if you see one treat like you would a bear you know just you know <laughs> Respect it as you would a bear. And so that's the saying up through here anyway. So I'm going to ask her. Uh, so real quick, it sounds like um, this is kind of it's it's in the local lore or the knowledge of the, of the local people up there. Some of the folks uh, are aware of the things and quite aware if they know about staying out of the woods, you know, when it's hot and that sort of thing. Oh yeah, yeah they are, yeah, and they they try to teach their you know their their kids. Of course, about all the elders nowadays is is done gone, you know, and uh, these the, the newer kids around they think that they're full of crap, you know. Did they ever but, go uh, hiking? Few, <laughs> uh, no, no, they don't go there hiking. Okay, you know they think they think that it's full of crap. I'll tell them, I said, well, you might think it, but you better listen to what they say. For sure. Yeah, but, you know, we, we know that there's a lot of people that have figured out, uh, you know, 
the area that we're talking about, and we we definitely yeah. don't want to encourage any anybody to go up there poking around and looking for no. bats and silly stuff because we don't want people yeah. to get hurt. Uh, well, uh, you know, and a lot of time, a lot of times you hear you hear them say, you know, go by twos, but see, there's there's a there's two girls, two hikers that are still missing, you know. So if you go, it'd be better to go with like fours and fives, maybe, you know. <laughs> Just don't be the last one. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know that Will has said in the past, uh, the creatures are, it's really a game of numerical superiority. You know, if they feel they have uh, numerical superiority, then they are confident much more confident to be aggressive and yes yeah like up the long arm me and the that's when peewee was alive that's been several years back um i went up to the rock bluff that's that's to the right instead of going to the left of the falls that's it's a good way because the rock bluff and a switch back there and uh we had hung out there for for a little a little while, and the, it started getting dark. Of course, I lost track of time. And on my way out, Pee Wee was acting awful crazy. And I mean, just just more scared than he always than than he was. And uh, I rushed down and picked him up. And when I picked him up, he was shaking. And uh, so I just I. Kept on, you know, coming down, coming down the mountain there. I was on the trail, and I got, I got past the, the third creek crossing down there, which was from where I picked him up was probably about seventy yards, and uh, heard something. I mean, it sounded like a freight train coming, coming from the right, and uh, it come out there, and got right in front of me, and was running towards me. And stopped all of a sudden, and he was swinging his arms, and you could feel you could feel the the air off of it. That's how close I was. And I was just looking down at his feet, and I kind of glanced up and looked it in the eye, and he just stopped. And I looked back down at his feet, and he stood there for a second, didn't move, didn't 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 growl, didn't say a word, didn't do anything, and then he just took off to the left and went up the ridge. And uh, uh, an older fella up there told me that he'd run into two rogues up there. And uh, so I figured that one was there. There'd better be another one around there somewhere. And, now, Pee-wee. Uh, Pee-wee. Pee-wee's shaking uh-huh. all this time, right? What's going on? Right. Is Chris a little bit nervous? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Chris about pooped himself. <laughs> <laughs> Pee-wee, now, he was a, what, he was a, a dachshund, or what What kind of dog was he? He, he was a Yorkie. Oh, Yorkie, okay, all right. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you wonder, yeah. I, why is it, what kind of sixth sense do dogs have? You know, they must smell these things, and is it huge or just something? They sense malevolence. Oh, yeah, because I know, I know I just got in from uh, Connecticut. And I told Robin, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to go up the creek. She said, it's, it's two in the morning. I said, I'm going to go up the creek. I said, I've been waiting. I'm going to go up the creek. 
So uh, when Pee Wee heard me say go up the creek, he was ready. He knew what that meant. So we rode. I was, that's when I had my other Jeep. It had snow. Good Lord, damn So we had about a foot of snow. And um, we eased on up through there. And we rode all the way up to the end. And uh, it hit me. I thought, well, we'll get out. You know, we walk, we walk this trail a little ways. And when I let him out of the Jeep, he, he was all good and everything. You know, he went went out and done his rounds, done his business and everything. He got in front of me. He stayed like he normally does. And he uh, got on, got on probably about, he's probably about 10 foot in front of me. And he just stopped, stopped dead still. Didn't move. I mean, didn't like he was pointing. And then he turned around and come running and jumped up on my leg, started started whimpering and whining. And I thought, well, what do you want? You want me to pick you up? And right right when I said that, one hollered, and it was it was close. I said, oh, I know what you want. I rushed down, and grabbed him, and we went back to Jeep. We left that night too, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> but you know, I I'd go up there and see if I I'd just stay by the Jeep most of the time, and you could hear him hollering. You know, whooping, and sometimes sometimes they would come on. You know, they get close to you. As long as you know, I kept kept all my lights and stuff off, and uh, you know, you don't have to go looking for for them. All you got to do is go sit down, turn the light off. They'll find you. Trust me, they will find you. They're pretty curious about about people, and uh, you know. And, and they're pretty dangerous. They're dangerous too. I ain't, I ain't trying to say, yeah, go out there and shake his hand. And like, no, no, you know, they're, they're dangerous. I'm just saying, you know, I believe you're some respect for what's up there. Right. Yeah, I've lived here all my life, you know. And like I say, I, I used to, used to, you mentioned Bigfoot, he wasn't nothing, you know. It's just like saying, hey, there's a bear up there, you know. I mean, well, you know, everything's we just, a bear. They blame everything yeah. on bears. Yeah, you know, yeah. the the here's the deal: the bears are victims too, you know, and they mm-hmm, get blamed mm-hmm. for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, all of our bears, you most of the time don't have to worry about them if you go up the creek. They're not up there; they're down low. Uh, Brian and his wife was walking up there, up the road there one one day. Brian was standing back one evening. And he said, he said, they looked and seen a pine, and well, they looked and seen something, heard something coming like a freight train at them, and it was a bear. And he said, his wife screamed, and he said, he about did. <laughs> he said that it run, it run right by them. <clears throat> said, I mean, you know, he said, I could rest down and touch it. So it run right by me and her, and went about another 20 yards, turned around and looked, and kindly bayed out. He said, and he looked looked back that way. They looked back that way, and there was some pine trees moving and shaking. So he said, he said, I'm pretty sure that one was after that bear. I said, it's a thousand warnings you didn't get you in, you know. And we get reports of bears even as far as here into uh, Knoxville, which is you know certainly not where you would expect to see black bears, but. Uh, we're only 30 right. miles from the Smoky Mountains, and you know, yeah. here in the valley, we also got the Cumberland Mountains on the other side, so they're mm-hmm. around. So you know, it's easy to blame them for things, 
but not like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> what we're talking about. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Brian's, Brian's, Brian's mom was washing dishes. I probably told this one before, too. Brian's mom was washing dishes up there, and, and where her sink was was right at eight foot from the ground. And she'd put some pots and pans away and come back and start washing some more and looked up and one was looking at her right in the eye. And she screamed. <clears throat> and Brian's dad asked her what was going on. He didn't get to see it. And she told him what, what it was. Well, he went and got, got his dogs. And these were bear dogs now. They, you know, they hunt bear. Pretty mean dogs. And uh, he leashed them up. And their barn... Their barn is probably about a hundred, probably about a hundred and thirty yards away from their house, and it sits right there at the, right, right there at the bottom foot of the mountain, right there at the woods. And um, he got up there and got them, got the dogs. The dogs got probably about thirty yards from the barn. They just stopped. They quit barking. They quit doing anything. They just stopped. And. Uh, that the Carla said the one put his tail between his legs and took off back towards the house, and the other one stuck. He he stayed around for about another two minutes and he was gone. And Carla, Carlos had a gun. He had a shotgun, and uh, he said he heard something in the barn, but he couldn't you know couldn't see it. So he took his light and shined in a crack, and and it was standing over at the edge on the other side of the wall. And he said he was about probably about nine foot tall, and it seen that light shining on it, and it tore the whole back of the barn out and run up, you know, took off running up into the woods. Really? So it actually destroyed a, a, a whole yes. wall of the barn? Yep, took the whole back end out, splintered it up and everything. Well, that would be uh, kind of an eye-opener. Mm-hmm. And and that same that same ridge that he run up, my cousin was hunting on down on down below that, probably about probably about half a mile below that, and he was sitting there and he he said he was he says right at daylight he he heard something coming he's deer hunting, and he said he sat there and put his safety off and got his gun ready, he said it, it, he said it was about he was about nine foot tall. And he said it's looking right at him. <laughs> he said I didn't, I didn't do nothing. He said I put my gun back down. He said I eased up and I left. So I'd say that's probably the same one that he's seen. And how long ago was this? This has been, it's been several. Well, probably that was a while ago. Three, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, man, about probably about three or four years ago. But it's all ongoing, you know, and those, you remember those two guys that, uh, they were hearing a lot of noise that, uh, they were going to try and, uh, record. Yeah. You remember them? Yeah. So it's like, you know, there's the locals, they know, I mean, it's, and it's not just right there in the national forest. You, you go probably what three three miles either side of the, the river there you know they're they're moving about they're going right. down there to the slough and uh that's where they they uh the females go down there and give birth right yep 
down on the island, what we call the island. Yeah. At yeah. the river. You know, that, that and them farmers, them farmers have finally got smart and put their sweet feet in there. So. <laughs> they put it on the, on that island or, or. I didn't no, no, that. no. They, they've they've found out the hard way that they have to protect the the sweet feed and you know put it in closed barrels inside of like you know the barn and stuff to keep them from eating it. Oh, okay, gotcha. And that sweet feed <laughs> is just like oats that's been soaked in honey and that sort of thing. Yeah, molasses. Yeah. 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 He had a fifty-gallon barrel, and I was about six, and uh, I watched him fill it up. And he had an old donkey, and uh, we come back the next day to feed feed the donkey, and the barrel was was uh, you know it only had half in it. And Papa told me he said, "Ah, he says it's the rats," and I <laughs> he's trying to shelter me, and I thought to myself, I "Ain't no rat gonna eat that much food." It's a lot of rats. No, not in not in a day, you know. <laughs> Paul, you said you're in uh, Knoxville, is that right? Yes, sir. That's okay. Right. And then I go, I'm looking at Google Earth here, and I go a little bit down to the southeast, and there's a national forest, uh, Pisgah National Forest. Do you guys ever Pisgah. go there? Pisgah is over in North Carolina. Oh, okay, I've, okay. I've, I've heard a little too far. I've heard Yeah, that's, well, that's I, over Pisgah in North Carolina. Well, Cherokee of... Forest runs... Uh, either side of the Great Smokies, so it's it's uh, you know both both sides of it along the East Tennessee North Carolina border. Mm-hmm. Have you guys heard of any activity in in that location? There's, there's activity in different counties. I mean, you can look around on the internet and see reports on on different websites, but people are not going to talk about it because they don't want to be perceived as crazy. And that's exactly what you're going to get labeled if you talk about it. So, you know, you you pass information on to people that you're close to that, you know, are aware well, that they're out there. But, you know, you, you just you have to be discreet. Uh, Paul, Jack, jog my memory. That girl is in uh, Rogersville. Is she still missing? Yeah. Yeah. Now, Rogersville yeah. is not very far. Yeah. From where Chris is, it's a, kind of like on the other side of the valley, and so mm-hmm. this little how five years old was she? Five year old girl, yeah. Disappears yep. like from her front yard, and never to be seen again. And they put out the Amber Alert and everything. And I remember as soon as I heard about it in the news, I texted Chris and I said, you know, I think we know what's happened here. Mm-hmm. And the uh, girls, see, they've been several. Yeah, Rogersville is not several, a big place. It's not a big place right. at all. There've been several reports from there too. That's right. Because mm-hmm. that's over like Clinch Mountain area, I think. Right. Yep. Yep. Out playing in the yard. Seen her one minute, gone the next. And how long ago was this? This has Spring? been recently. Yeah, it was back yep. in the spring. Oh, it was this year. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that's too bad. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But, you know, I um, I mean, it's not without precedent. We have a gentleman up in 
Montana. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Will, when? They had a situation where it actually came in in broad daylight yeah, and correct. grabbed mm-hmm. an elderly guy right off his porch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wasn't they, that on the Flathead Reservation, Will? Yeah, it was. Yeah, they're not intimidated, that's for sure. <laughs> that is I mean, it, sure. it could have been a big cat. You know, there there are cougars in East Tennessee, so it's not beyond the realm. She could have been abducted, but it's just the facts of the case made it real suspicious, you know, and it sounded like a lot of the kinds of cases that uh, uh, what what's that guy? Dave uh, Pilates is his. Uh, yeah work it's it just it strikes me as similar to those types of disappearances well you know and let's say it was a cougar um they're gonna you're gonna have i would think typically you get evidence of animal predation uh you know you're gonna have some you know uh you know whatever Mm -hmm. some blood or or whatnot blood yeah that's what i was Uh, thinking too yeah they need blood and stuff like that yeah if if there's any kind of information along, you know, being abducted by natural uh, animals or something, they're not saying a thing. They haven't said anything about that. No. Mm-mm. It's just like, nope. you know, somebody, aliens or whatever, just kind of like, whoop, scooped her up and she's gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, it's like that guy had been missing and them two girls had been missing from up here, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They, what was it? Uh, they found a shoestring, a pink shoestring, Chris. Yep, yeah, yep. That was it. They were they were wearing uh, bright colors, fluorescent pink. They said fluorescent pink and uh, just regular pink shorts. Now the now the guy I don't. I don't think he was wearing that, but uh, I do know that he'd been nosing around up there long arm a lot, and he was on a horse. And uh, like I say, I I went I went up there and was nosing around a little bit too, and I got probably about a mile or half a mile off the trail, went back there and found a brand new um, lawn chair that was destroyed, and I found a shirt, a button-up shirt. And a horse bridle, and then on above it, I found a big pile of crap. So, yeah. Well, that's yeah, a horse bridle. That's kind of interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Who would who would leave a horse bridle up there? You pay money for the right. pretty good money for those things. Right. So him and so this guy that went is. missing, the guy that was on a horse, did his was his horse gone or? Yeah, yeah, his horse was missing too. <laughs> uh-huh. and that was where I found that from the rock bluff it wasn't but just maybe geez, 50 yards from the rock bluff was that except, a long arm except, yeah except it was it was about a half a mile off the trail it's probably on the, on the other side of the ridge from the rock bluff yeah and you've talked about that rock bluff uh, on past yeah. episodes that yeah, was the same yeah, one where the turtle came flying over, right? No, no that was down to the lower part. Oh, you got to oh, tell us about that. I, I don't. 
Let's hear about the turtle. <laughs> the turtle? I had been up to the right towards Rock Bluff. That's where I went all the time. And uh, Pee Wee was at his mammals that day. And uh, I, come, I come walking back down. And if you go to the left, there's a falls up there. Well, I run into two girls, and they were pale as ghosts. And uh, they told me, they said, you scared me. I said, well, what for? You know, I was making all kind of noise. said, you just did. And they, they told me, said, we, we tied our horses to these trees right here. And we walked up and got almost to the falls and turned around. And the horses were behind us. So, so we figured, you know, we might have tied them too loose. So we took them back down and tied them real tight. Got almost up to the falls, turned around, and they were there again. And uh, she said, then we just went ahead and went to the falls. I said, while we're standing here at the falls, said, a turtle come flying off and landed in front of us. And uh, that creek ain't that swift for a turtle <laughs> for a turtle to come falling off that. From what I gather, it come flying, and I mean it was coming fast, and it landed in front of them, and, you know. And it, I guess it busted it up and everything. Said so that really scared us, and we come back down here, and then we turn around and look and say, "You come." <laughs> and uh, she said, "Do you care if we walk with you down back down to the?" You know, the main road, I said, no, I don't care. And uh, we got about halfway down through there, and you hear one up there. He, he bayed out and hollered, and that's all it took for them. They hurried up and jumped on their horses and gone. They forgot about me. <laughs> 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 of course, you know, I wasn't worried anyway. Because I was about to my Jeep anyways. And how long ago was this? This has been... This has been within the, the past three years. Okay. Now, there ain't been a whole lot of people up up through there the past couple of summers. I mean, you know, there's been so much going on. There was that uh, one uh, wreck up there, a suburban. They don't know how in the world he done what he done, but he went off a bank, and uh, the whole thing was busted all pieces. And things that, you know, I mean, he didn't take a hard enough spill for it to break all the windows out. All the windows were broke out and everything else. And, and they found they found some blood and some stuff. And they kept that hush hush. So I'm pretty sure what happened there, you know. Cleaned it what up. About, That's what they did. Yeah. Well, yeah, they cleaned it up. So. They sure did. The suburban crash and the driver is missing or dead or what? There's three of them that was missing. Dead. I mean, three of them. Okay. And uh, yeah, and uh, like I say, I tried to get, I tried to get all the information I could out of it, and I couldn't even get it out of my friend the game warden. So you know, that's, that's pretty bad, you know, because most of the time he, you know, he he'll if he, if he's got if he's working a case up there where. It's, Supposedly a bear attack or whatever, you know. <laughs> That's what he's got to put in his report. He'll call me. Tell me to come up there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of bears that can take on a suburban and, you know, no sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Not even for a box of donuts. No, I was going to, yeah, no. I was going to say. There was a, there's a, there's a couple camping up there. And uh, they were in a tent, and they had a box of donuts in their vehicle. 
and it was probably about, I'm going to say two in the morning. And they heard somebody walk. They said somebody walking around. It sounded like two people, but it wasn't. And then they, they heard the windows being smashed. Well, they got out and seen, seen one. And from my, from what I guess, he went about seven foot tall. So he's probably juvenile or something like that. But anyway, he's not trying to get the donuts out of the day, out of his car. <laughs> well, that's understandable. Through a rock. Mm-hmm. But with a rock. Yep. Yeah. Game war. Well, you know, you got to use what's available. Uh-huh. <laughs> I remember the game warden telling, telling that. Just, I've never seen a barrack throw a rock. <laughs> well, listen, guys. Uh, we got to have you have you back on. This is just too interesting. You get you get a lot of activity there, and yeah, you know you got the sightings, you got all sorts of stuff going on. So, um, we're gonna have you both back on. Keep us updated. I know you will. We sure and, will. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, Paul, thank you, mm-hmm. fellas, for being on. No well, problem. Thank you for having us. Have I, a good long I weekend. Think I thank everybody for the kind words and the comments. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, can both of you guys stay on for just a moment after after, sure. after the recording? Yeah. Okay. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Chris and Alberta is joining us today. Chris, you had a recent experience that was pretty interesting. Um, let's start out, before we get into the Q&A, we'll go over this. Um, you were hunting that day. Kind of take us into, you know, the beginning of that day and sort of lead us through the events that happened. Sure. So um, my son and I went up to it's about four hours away or so. Uh, my buddy lives right on the, the edge of this big bush line. Anyway, it's kind of our honey hole. We know that if we go there, like, you're going to be putting deer down. <laughs> it's just going to happen. Last time we were there, it was pretty much five up, five down. So we were very excited to um, to get there and to fill tags. Um, it was Halloween. <laughs> it was hunter's full hunter's moon on Halloween. So it's the last day of archery-only season. So my son's packing a lever action 22 mag just for chickens and rabbits in case we see something and i've got my crossbow because that's that's all it is right until the next day we're scouting around i'm showing them what i can show them and there's really nothing around i've you know there's a couple couple rubs um i didn't see any scrapes so it's kind of pre-rut and it should be it should be moving there's nothing around. Uh, I saw we saw one young doe with two fawns. Obviously, that was her first set. Um, we bounced one buck the day after, but on this day, like we weren't seeing anything. It was really odd. Like there was just nothing moving. No, no sign, no track, very little. Really, really odd. So I took him to a section I hadn't been in in quite some time. We walked down there. 
took about an hour to get there on foot, a um, couple quarter sections long. So we were probably four quarter sections away from base camp to the west. Following the fence line, I hear a couple noises. We stopped. I told my son, like, be quiet. What the heck was that? They didn't happen again, so I didn't think much of it. Got to the corner of the one fence line, and there is a monster, what I thought was a monster, rub on a tree. And it was just over my head, which is peculiar for whitetail, but that's what got me thinking, like, only big, big bucks pick on big trees. Um, with big racks, and they can kind of stand up a bit and beat the piss out of a tree, right? I took a couple pictures of it, looked on the ground, didn't see much, um, kept following it, turned another corner. It's really thick back there, I should say. Like, there's, I was telling my son, like, there's a hundred different routes for these, this buck. I thought this was his core area from the size of that scrape and rub. Um, there's a hundred places that he can get away, so... If you do get a glimpse, you might be the arse end of them leaving because they're they're smart. They get big because they're smart. Uh, found another rub on a smaller, way, way smaller tree. But it's along the same path, so I'm wondering if it's the same buck or not. Doesn't look like this tree took the beating the other one did. Um, went to the corner of that section, looked inside the bush. It was really, really thick. And it almost looked like it opened up into grassland past the bush line. So we walked in a little ways. I got a bit weirded out. I didn't say nothing to my son, but it definitely did not open up in the pasture. It was kind of like a mirage. It was just getting thicker. So we turned around, went down another trail just to see was getting thick. Turned around. Uh, I put up a couple pieces of cotton cloth with scent on it, just hanging from a couple trees and, so I can come back the next day and just kind of see what's moving around. We're on our way out, and we're approaching that monster rub on that tree, and I noticed my footprint when we were going the opposite direction, and there was deer scat there that I'd obviously stepped on and not saw, which is odd, but I didn't see it, and it was melting a little bit. The ground wasn't completely frozen, but it's partially frozen. I mean, your footprint's not going in too deep. So I'm, I'm actually kneeling down looking at the scat right by this tree and my son's standing. And this, it sounded like a bark, really loud, and a snort all at the same time. Um, honestly, I thought at that second, we just spooked this buck. But it wasn't a snort wheeze that I'm used to hearing. But I mean, when you're looking for deer and you hear a loud noise, um, that's the first thing that popped into my head is like, damn it, we just spooked this frickin' buck. Uh, good luck finding him now. So I looked at my son and I'm like, I'm pissed, <laughs> right? I'm pissed at myself. I'm like, man, we just blew him. And then it kept sounding off and there was two of them. You know, whatever, like we were quiet and I was on the ground, like kneeling down. It either visualized or scented us or both. But I looked straight up, and my son was standing at where the sound came from, and we didn't see a freaking thing. This, whatever these were, man, like I, I hate to say it is what it is, but I don't know what it was. They were loud, and they were sounding off, and it was pissed off. And they went into, we could hear them crashing through the bush, and they went into a large, 
like an oval, like a, an oval shape, not a circle. But they buggered off and they doubled back. But they kept sounding off the entire time. And this went on for like five or six minutes. And I don't know anything that has a warning call and stops and looks at you or keeps warning calling as it's leaving. But this, these didn't leave the area. It went into a big circle and the one went to our flank. We could hear it, but it wasn't vocalizing. And the other one made that oval and it was right in front of us again. But the vocalizations had changed a bit. At first they were aggressive and loud and pissed off. And then they started to change. And that's what kind of got my attention again. It was like, what the hell? Like it's changing its vocalization. What is this? And at one point it sounded crow-like, but really loud. And it was making this blowing, hissing type sound. I, don't, I have no idea what it was. Um, my son was getting a little bit freaked. We were talking, we were pretty much whispering. But he had said, there's something beside us. Like, there's something beside us. And I wasn't paying attention to that. I was paying attention to what was in front of us, what was actually vocalizing, because the other one wasn't. So, like, five or six minutes of this goes on, 15 to 20 calls easily, before I realized, get your frickin' phone out. <laughs> Hit record, you dumbass. So I did, and I only got, like, a minute and 20 before my brain kicked in and said, okay, um, you've got both your hands up in the air and you've got a crossbow on your back. If something comes out, you're in big freaking trouble. And my son's got this tiny little 22 mag, right? That's not going to do anything. So I stopped the video and we got the hell out of there and, and walked back to base camp. But I, I don't know what they were. I know what they weren't. Um, but I went through everything in my head. At the time, I was trying to rationalize it. Like, is this wild boar? Um, it's not a vulture. Um, they're not birds. Um, is it a lynx? I don't think it's a lynx. I don't think it's a bobcat. I don't think it's a fisher. I don't know what they were, but there was at least two of them. And the one that doubled back and went to our flank didn't make a sound other than walking through the bush. It didn't vocalize whatsoever. That's hey, pretty much her. Hey, can I, can I interrupt or, or uh, <laughs> a, a great story? How coordinated do you think that the communication between them were? Um, I mean, obviously, they were having some communication, but, I mean, how coordinated do you think that it was? I don't think I could do it with my son. I don't think I could direct him to do what they did. I don't know why they came back. They were pissed off when they left, um, but they, that was their immediate response was to do an oval. They didn't piss off and then come back. They didn't stop. They didn't hum and haw. When they were vocalizing, at least the one was vocalizing, they immediately pissed off to our left in a big oval. And they did a huge oval. And we could hear the one when it got to the one apex of the oval. It went straight to our flank. And the other one continued to complete the oval and started exactly stopped exactly where he started, but deeper in the bush. Now, I don't know anything that does that. But what? that's, I mean, it seriously got my attention. And I hate to say, it, you know, it was these creatures because it's, I don't want to believe that. But I just don't know what that was. 
And I've never heard those vocalizations before like that. I don't know. I can't identify that. I don't know what those were. Yeah, yeah. No, no, Will, have you, have you heard, um, you know, you, you've obviously, you know of stories like this before, right? Yeah, we've heard that quite a few times uh, where people hear some kind of a vocal, they hear something moving through the brush, and then they'll make these, sometimes they'll make these circle movements around the people. Yeah, in fact, I, I think that will you're um, not the gold hammer experience, but also um, another experience that you had where yeah, you could definitely tell that these things were circling around you in in the woods. Oh yeah, um, no, at the Clark Ranch they circle sure. often. Tom, you have a question? Yeah, yeah I, I want to back up for a second. Hey, Chris, um, that sound made is kind of a bark, right? Like a was it kind of a scream bark, like a real short, rah, kind of it was, It was a mixed, to me, it sounded like a type of grunt bark, but it also was mixed with copious amounts of air. But uh, uh, I imagine it like clench your teeth with your mouth open and dispel air both through your cheeks and your nose and bark at the same time. That's what it sounded like, because you could definitely hear serious airflow coming out, but this loud bark. And I've spooked elk before when they'll bark at you as a distress call, and it's one big loud bark, and then they're gone. Similar, but not similar. Yeah. Same type of warning, like it winded me, or it saw us, or both. It knew we were there, and it was right in front of us, and we didn't see a freaking thing. Yeah. What about how many times did it bark? like that before i turned on the camera at least 15 or 20 times and okay. it was barking and changing its vocalization and doing that hiss it was like a hiss a really loud hiss and if you watch the video at the beginning it sounds like tree branches but it's not it's this thing hissing i don't know if it's blowing through its nose and mouth but it's really freaking loud but they did at least 15 or 20 vocalizations as they were on the move. And then they kept doing it until I finally said, get your camera out <laughs> and hit record. Yeah. And as soon as I did, you can hear a couple vocalizations and then it just, they just stopped. Didn't hear yeah. another thing. I, I've heard a couple on two different occasions. I've heard like the best way I could describe it was a loud very, very loud scream bark, kind of a, all these different sounds mixed into one, just kind of a raw, raw. And I can't, you know, I really can't um, describe it. Right. So what time of day? Um, the I can this... tell you right now because it's on my camera. I think it was about 20. Here, I can tell you right now what the video time signature is. Just give me a second. Dead air, guys. <laughs> One eighteen p.m. October thirty first. That's when I hit record. Hey, hey, let, let me let me ask you because uh, I, I know that Will can speak to this as well. I mean, he's talked about this in the past, and um, I know that for a lot of our, our listeners. Uh, by the way, I think that we have over like thirteen thousand right now. So some of our, our listeners are coming on for, for the first time, but um, Will can kind of speak to this when you were talking about how the camera came out and 
they immediately changed. Do you think that they understood that a camera was out? And and Will's talked about this in the past, but I mean, when they understand that something that is not natural in their environment comes out, they immediately understand um, that there's there's something going on. I've thought about that. Um, I don't like where it takes me, honestly. Um, this past thing, I'm not saying this was that experience, but I mean, things are looking like it is. Um, how does, here's another thing. How does one person have multiple experiences? I'm starting to rethink the paradigm here. Um, it did vocalize, it did do the hiss, and then it made two other kind of chirping, barking, cawing sounds, and then it stopped. So why did it stop? Maybe there is a correlation when I pulled out the phone and somehow they know. They knew. Hey, Chris. Something, I think you're onto something. I was, don't know. Let's clarify that. Now, that's when the sound stopped is when the phone was pulled out? Shortly after. But, I mean, the vocalizations were starting to change a bit. But as soon as I pulled that phone out, those vocalizations completely changed to a more passive, different vocalization it wasn't as aggressive and pissed off and barking a command as previous they they mellowed out i don't know what it was saying to the other one but they did change and then it stopped i've only got a minute and 20 on this video and most of it is listening to the hum of the bush now they, they stopped they had already completed their oval at this point too right they had for a bit yeah okay. and my son was looking beside him saying, there's something over there. And I, you know, I was glancing over there and I turned the camera there as I was looking a couple times, but I was more focused on in front of me because that's where the noise was coming from. And he was focused on what was beside him because he knew, and he said a few times, there's something right over there. Yeah, I'm going to jump in. Uh, Chris, I got a question. Actually, really almost more of a comment than a question. And I wonder, this is just, I'm going to throw it out there. Um, is it, you know, obviously they're watching you. They can see you. They're utilizing whatever space they have to conceal themselves. At the same time, they can see you, correct? Yeah, I would say okay. so. Okay, yeah. Um, I think when you pull out a phone, well, what do you think? They, they see a foreign object. I think they're very, very keen on recognizing a gun. But you pull out a phone, you've got something in your hand, and you've talked about this in the past. They don't know what it is, but they assume it's a weapon. Well, right. And and you guys already had your weapons out visible, correct? Well, my son had, you know, he was cradling that lever, mm-hmm. and my crossbow was on my back. Okay, so it's when, and you pulled the phone out, so it was in your hand that this, this behavior yeah, changed. Yeah, it was in my fanny pack, so I just I just opened my fanny pack and took it out, and put it in front of me yeah okay so that's that's probably what altered the uh the behaviors is when they saw you pull that out of a pack wow (laughs) because it did it did freak me out um after that we just went back had lunch um i gave my buddy darwin a heads up because he's been out in that neck of the woods and he hasn't been back with me he's never i've invited him he's never told me why but after i showed him this he had admitted that's why he didn't go back because he was spooked of the area hey will um, 
Hey, Next well, let, day, that's when we took all the pictures. Hey, well, let, let me ask you, do you think that they maybe confuse sometimes like um, like a cell phone with a gun, do you think? Well, it's not that. I mean, they don't know what a cell phone is. Uh, but anything, you know, my information is that anything in a person's hand is viewed as a weapon. So, you know, I'm sure they're being cautious. You know, again, if it, if it was the creatures, um, and indications are that it, it probably was. Um, but we're not saying it is because we don't know for sure. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, anything anything that's not, that, you know, you're going through a situation, they see what you have and <clears throat> and your posture and where the objects are on you that they would view as a weapon. And the crossbow, they may or may not because it's on your back. Um, your son's rifle, obviously, they would, but the posture is different. So when they see you pull something out and it's in your hands, that's going to possibly alter the situation. Tom, you have a question? Yeah, I do. Hey, Chris, when you pull it out, and you're recording, are you holding it up like towards them? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they, I'm sure they see that. And, and the comment I have is, will we know of a situation where a hiker was lost? Uh, he was almost certainly taken by one of these things. There's a lot of evidence, but one of the evidence was they found his GPS unit smashed on the hiking trail. Right as if something had stomped it. And my conclusion was he had it in his hand. They didn't like that, and they wanted to take care of the weapon. Yeah, very likely, sure. Going to remove a threat. Wow. See, my son had made comments on the way in about some of the structures, and I just kind of, I wasn't interested in what he had to say at that time. I was looking for deer, right? <laughs> Honestly, I'm like, yeah, okay, well, we'll check it out on the way out. I really didn't care. Um, and the next day I told my son, I said, we're going back there tomorrow morning. Eh? And he's like, I don't want to go back there. I said, well, we're going back there tomorrow morning. And it was under the guise that, you know, I wanted to catch this buck, but, um, that's when we took the majority of those pictures. Um, and the one got my attention because it's live and it's bent in half and it's spliced on either side where it was broken. And there is a, it looks like a big lodge probably 20 feet long well well over my head as well i did wow. not go and look on the back side of that thing but i just took pictures hey chris let me let me ask you real quick um before all this happened uh did you believe in the subject or, or like what was your knowledge of, of the subject beforehand oh yeah i've had an experience before um definitely but it's not the first thing on my mind when i'm in the bush um I'm not the type of guy that's everything's a blob squatch or everything is this or everything is that. You know, I've talked to Will for, for years now, and um, he knows I'm not the type of guy that's <laughs> pretty fantastic with saying everything is a Sasquatch sort of thing. Right. But after yeah. this, I'm kind of I'm, I'm questioning why a, a family would have multiple. I know if I made a phone call to the reservation to my relations, I know what their answer would be, so I'm not going to make that phone call. I don't want to accept that, you know? You know, what, what I would, think... What would their answer be? <laughs> their so, answer would be that it's part of my life, that they seek me out, because I don't know. That's what their answer would be, that I've always been susceptible to them because I'm open to it, and they're open to me, and that's what their answer would be, and I don't like that answer. 
I don't accept that answer. I don't want to get foo-foo-y. I don't want to get all paranormal, weird. Um, you know, they would also say that he that these creatures are like shamans. They appear and disappear at will. I don't want to go there. You know, I, I really don't. I, I think we can look at it from a more uh, down-to-earth point of view, though. I think just I being, so. being exposed out there where they are, uh, and it's not like there's just, say, two or three in a, in a hundred square mile area. The population is larger than that. So, like with other wild creatures, just being exposed is sort of like playing the lottery. You know, if you don't play, you don't win. Um, and, and when you're out there, you're kind of you're kind of playing the game, so to speak. You know, you're you're being exposed, and they're doing what they do. So, um, I, I think, and it's not, and it's also like you said, being open to it. Um, or be, maybe just being more aware since you've had that experience in the past, you know, with the canoe trip, um, you know, your awareness is raised when you're out there and when something doesn't fit the circumstances, um, then it's a little bit easier for your mind to sort of say, well, what's the possibility of this being what's the cause of this situation rather than, you know, as you've ruled out the normal animals. Yeah. I mean, it's perplexing. When you jump something or you spook something or something winds you, you know, you usually always um, get a visual. It's usually on the arse end, right? It's leaving right. the area. Um, I didn't see anything. I don't know how they saw us. I don't know how they saw us or scented us because it sounded like they, it was right in front of us, like, 20 yards but i didn't see anything even in the bush line i didn't see anything i didn't see trees moving when they left but it was loud and it sounded very close but whatever they were obviously knew we were there because that's why they sounded yeah it was a you know and 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 backing up just a little bit you know like i was saying um you know of course if they're they're in the brush if they're hunting you know, they're going to be hidden. They're, they're going to be where the game isn't going to be able to see them, but they can see out. Uh, and I think a lot of people, when they experience things, they don't know that they're experiencing these creatures. They they play it off as something normal. I know when I was younger, I did. Um, things I like, still do. You know, yeah. If you were to watch the whole video, you'll hear me say to my son, do you think it's wild boar? Right, you're ruling out the normal things. I'm still trying to rationalize. Things. I am. I'm trying to figure, like, do you think it's this? Do you, like... And up until I turned it off, and I said, "We're getting, we're getting out of here." You know, recently you know? Tom and I were talking about things like uh, the whoop noise, and looking at all the different birds and animals and the sounds that they make. And to be quite honest, I have yet to find a normal animal that makes that kind of a noise. And I remember hearing that kind of a noise in the areas that I grew up in. It wasn't uncommon, but I always thought, you know, from the time I was a little boy, that was just a bird. Yeah, you know, we did the same thing when we got back to my buddy's place. Is I, even knowing what I know, what things sound like, I still went through lynx and bobcat and fishers and how I've seen fishers fight. I've seen them just beat the heck out of each other. Uh, it's brutal. Um, it's nothing I know of. I don't know what, but you start to, I did, you know, second guess. Well, maybe wild boar do make this sound. Doesn't sound like a pig to me, but I mean, yeah. you do start going through the catalog. Right? And, and you know how it is sometimes, especially, you know, you get wildlife people that, that film animals 
in the wild. And so we have kind of this baseline for that. Oh, that's what that animal is supposed to sound like. But you know, like I do very well, that there's variations. You know, like yeah, to say right. a bobcat, you know, they make they make some pretty strange noises. But, Absolutely. you know, you might have an individual that's a little off kilter, you know, from the norm. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, all those go, went through my head. And I did my due diligence listening to everything. I'm like, this isn't it. I don't know what the, those, that hissing type noise, that, it's a lot of air being dispelled through whatever this was. And I don't know what that was. Hey, Chris, I got a, I got a quick question. Number one, I'm just going to comment on the hissing sound. You guys aren't in some kind of an election cycle right now, are you? Or... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I had to throw it in there. Sorry. Hey, That's um, funny. So the question I have, when you mentioned wild boar, do you have wild boar up in, uh, you're in Alberta, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Um, none of them are native here. So all of the wild boar that are in the bush now are from farms. Um, I think primarily the Russian boar that were brought yeah. over here yeah. for people to farm and, um, you know, have that on the market for consumable products for them, right? Whether it's sausage or bacon or whatever else. But a lot of these boar break out. And, I mean, it doesn't take much for a pig to become feral again. And they're, they're taken over. Like, they're everywhere. Um, so much so that the zone that we were hunting in, that county still has a $50 for a set of ear bounty. You can do whatever you want with the boar. They're free. You don't need a tag or anything. You just go start laying them on the ground, bring in your set of ears, and you, they'll give you 50 bucks a set of ears. They want them eradicated because they're, they're not here, and they're breeding twice a year. They are around. I didn't see any evidence of them, but I know that they're around there. Right. So the other question I have, really the important one, is so when you're, you mentioned you hear this sound and it's in front of you, pretty close what kind of what's the what's the bush like i mean i I, i'm trying to visualize in my mind uh the creature that's our topic being there concealed and letting you know it's uh you know find your presence somewhat objectionable at this point right well it is we're we are in uh forestry land so there's a lot of forestry going on there where we are is all grazing lease and it is grazing lease for Oh my goodness, I don't know. 35 kilometers. Like it's, but it's bushy. There's a few pastures, but it's bush. Um, there's a lot of tag alders. There's a lot of poplar and cottonwood. Um, there is some fur and stuff like that. Um, it's pretty thick. So when I'm taking the video, I'm standing right at the corner where there's a little bit of a fence, fence line. And just past there, you can see the trees where they're at, and those that bush goes on for, I don't know how many quarter sections, five, six. I did want to mention, too, that since you sent us a bunch of pictures, we can put some of those on the website so people can actually see Absolutely. what you're talking about. Right. Yeah, I think And I can send important. you the full-length video, too, via email, and you guys can okay. play it. And I do swear because <laughs> I'm kind of uppity, so it's not really like me to, to cuss a lot, but I'm definitely cussing in it. Well, there, there's also two important things going on with this situation, uh, as opposed to, you know, we're talking about normal animal noises. Uh, the behavior is a key one because of that oval-type movement and the vocals as they're going on throughout that movement and the volume. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of normal animals, you're not going to get that kind of volume that you're talking about 
like with pigs, for instance, if they're doing a hiss. I mean, they'd have to be pretty close for that to get any kind of uh, recording on your phone. So that's a lot of volume. Yeah. That's a lot more than the it is. A, it was, except maybe it a moose or something like that. Yeah, it's it's got me it's got me puzzled. It had me puzzled then. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm at a loss. I, I've never heard anything like that in the bush. I can't identify it. And I said that to my son. I don't know how many times on the way back on the walk. Like I don't know what that was, man. I just don't know what that was. It's like a, a mix between a screech, hiss, bark, cough. I've never heard that, and if I heard it once, I might just whatever, but repeatedly, I have no idea what makes a hissing sound that freaking loud and consistently. I don't know, man. I just don't know what that was. I don't feel good about it, but knowing that there was two of them, I'm guessing two, right? I know for sure there was at least two, but the one that turned to our flank, that's got me me worried. That was deliberate. Came right alongside... Pray, pray don't actually do that. No, we're the don't, prey. I don't think flake. we're the yeah. only things hunting there. That's what we were thinking. <laughs> well, I don't think we're the only things hunting there. And okay, as I just dead got as one... that area is, that gets me curious. Yeah, exactly. I got one final question. I, I don't want to belabor the point, but what I'm trying to find out is in front of you where you heard this sound, was there uh, sufficient concealment oh, of bush? Goodness, yes. Okay, yeah. all right, good Yeah. Yeah, you bet. And to the sides of us and behind us. I mean, there's the only place that you could walk is where we were standing. And that just goes along the fence line separating these two quarter sections. It's just a footpath. And it's a game trail more than it is anything, right? That's the only open sections. The rest is bush and thick. And that's what I was, you know, commenting to my son. I said, see, if we do, if you do spook a buck here, like he's likely going to be gone because there's a hundred ways for him to escape and he's going to send you and he's gone. You're never going to see him. It was that type of bush. It was just escape routes everywhere. Really, really thick. Hey, hey, Chris, can I uh, ask you a question too? Because like you said, and you're perfectly right, that uh, you had no idea that they were watching you. And so what I want to ask you is, is about the trees and you think they like some of them may have been like, like up in the trees, do you think? And, and what were the trees like in that area? I don't think these ones particularly were big enough. I really don't. I mean, you could probably put both hands around the majority of them that were in front of us. I don't think they were big enough to hold anything and everything out there. I mean, there's no leaves right now. Um, so you can see through, like if there was a porky in a tree, you'd be able to spot him a mile away. Yeah, you know, that, that, that is interesting, though, because, I mean, you think about it, these things are so stealthy that <laughs> you, you probably can't even tell if they're watching you, but they probably are, but they, you just don't know it. No, and that's got me spooked again, you know. They could obviously see us, and I could not see them. They could see us. I don't know why they'd make that maneuver and then come back pretty much exactly where I first heard it, but deeper in the bush. They didn't come as close. Well, not oval, but they came back. 
Well, maybe there and was I, something so they were hunting. You can analyze that video, and you can blow it up and see if you see anything. But maybe I mean, they were, it is only on the iPhone. Yeah, maybe they were hunting there, and you sort of interrupted their hunt. And, uh, of course, they let you know about it and then came right back like, okay, you know, this is our spot. We're going to stay right here. Yeah. But I do remember hearing two calls the same kind, not as loud, nowhere close to as loud, as we entered that area. And we did stop, and I put my hand up to my son. I said, hold on, what was that? You know, and I did a couple buck grunts. Um, I didn't have my antlers on me that day to rattle. I did the next day. And didn't hear anything. So we just slowly made our way. Um, took pictures of those two rubs. And on the way back, that's when they obviously winded us or saw us or both. But I think that they saw us go in and... They saw us definitely come out. Yeah, very likely. Well, listen, that's really fascinating stuff, Chris. Uh, if you guys go back in there, you know, let me know what you find. Let's go ahead and we can jump into our regular Q&A. Uh, I'm sure everyone's got plenty of questions. So uh, I guess, Brian, let's start with you. I know you've always got lots of questions Stay saved up. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, do you think that... You know, would you look at animals or even humans at, at this point, um, you know, at a young age, they don't really eat food. I mean, they basically survive on milk. Are there foods that juveniles or maybe infant babies of of these creatures uh, like eat that adults uh, discourage them from eating? <laughs> Oh, I'm I'm sure like other primates and humans, they're they're going to teach the young. You mean after they're weaned from milk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure they're teaching them, you know, what they should and shouldn't eat, just like you know, normal other primates are going to stick things in their mouths. And if they're if they're they probably learn the hard way. If it doesn't taste good, they're going to spit it out and get a negative reaction. But um, I'm sure the adults are, are watching hey. them and teaching them. Yeah. So as a follow up, do, do, are there poisonous plants? that they quickly learn to not eat oh i'm sure um let's let's go around the table chris what do you think about that yeah i think for sure i mean i would even take that a step further and before that like do the pregnant critters do they seek out certain vegetation that's high in certain minerals because they need it um stands to reason to me i mean i know even deer will source out whatever's high in calcium, especially bucks that need to grow that calcium for the next year. So to me, it makes sense. Everything out there eats what it eats for a reason. And um, yeah, I would say, yeah, probably. You know, that that's a good point. Let me, let me bring up a couple of things that I know about this. Uh, and it does put a different view on it. Um, we do know that the Sasquatches will periodically cache bones away you know, for, right. for lean times or whatever. But, you know, it makes you wonder, is that for, say, pregnant females, you know, the higher calcium content? Um, and also, I found on several occasions where they'd been eating clay. Um, You'd mentioned that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, where they, I mean, I have, I found, we had, uh, I remember we had Lee on the show uh, for a two-parter, and he took me to the location where he had his encounter. And... Um, were near his former home and he didn't expect to find anything fresh there and i did uh, we were going through the brush 
uh, where he's showing me where these different things had happened. And, and it was interesting. He was, you know, he's a big guy, you know, pretty tough. And he was really nervous, uh, chain smoking and, and, you know, had his 45 at the ready. And, you know, me, I'm got my nose in the ground like a bloodhound looking for a sign. And sure enough, he did near this intermittent creek that just, uh, it had stopped running during this time of year. And there was really any water that was there was in the soil. And it, there was parts of it that were still fairly moist. Um, but I found a, a marking that was four, clearly four fingers had been dragged through about an inch deep in this, this moist clay uh, for about four feet. And... Um, and in some other places in Northern California where a hand, clearly a hand, and this is up way up in the middle of nowhere, uh, a hand had like, you, if you put your hand down, you know, with thumb up and like scrape away the, uh, the needles and things off the top of this clay and then clear finger marks dragged through this clay. And, wow. and I spoke with our, for, so our forensic anthropologist that- and he said that, yeah, that primates will eat clay for the mineral content. Sure, because there's got to be potassium and iron or something, right? right? Or perhaps it's for a different means. Maybe um, they feel like crap and they have stomach upset, and this helps them dispel whatever is in their system. Who knows? But sure, and it, it could, even, seem to be, could even go back to the pregnant female idea. Right, right. I mean, yeah, who knows? Even chalk or right. we give charcoal to people that need to... Uh, detoxify from alcohol and drugs right absolutely absolutely yeah tom what do you think well yeah good good question um do you think these things have a drinking problem though uh, with the charcoal (laughs) (laughs) well with the election probably now yeah right well then you know maybe maybe they feast on on fermented fruit and apples and stuff I know the birds in our area do (laughs) yeah ours too smack into windows because they're a little tipsy yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the cats love it. Um, so, quick question, Will, have you run it, because I found that really interesting. We've talked about it before, you know, in the past. Have you seen that before where they have dug in the clay to get some sort of mineral content? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I've got pictures of it I've taken uh, several times in different locations on the coast. And it's funny. Okay, so this is a known behavior. And it's funny, you know, like I, like I was saying, you know, years ago, I mean, and you you learn new things as you move along, with hopefully anyway. Um, you know, I probably saw things years ago before I even realized what these were, not giving them a second thought, thinking, well, maybe it was, you know, deer or something, um, or whatever reason, whatever caused, you know, say something, uh, disturbance in clay and would have never given a second thought. Um, when I started finding these things, they were very clear because the finger markings were very clear. And especially the first time was in an area, uh, that was quite well known for Bigfoot activity. Um, and, and when I saw it, I thought, you know, immediately the first impression was, well, these are fingers. It was obvious they were fingers. And then, you know, this marking with Lee was really, um, and I should have brought plaster. I should have cast it because it was so interesting. But uh, I'm sure I'll find it again now that I know what I'm looking for. You know, I want to jump in real quick because uh, we talk about, uh, you know, these things are everywhere. They're all over the place. You know, the joke we have uh, amongst ourselves 
Will, and you know this, is, you know, we're, we're going to go to where they're not today. We're going to go to the where they're not, and there they are. <laughs> and that right? place doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, that, we haven't found that place yet. Um, <clears throat> so the question I have is, because they're all over the place and doing a lot of things, and we hear the vocalizations that we, you know, or, you know, you thought was probably birds. I wonder, the question I'm going to throw out there is, is there other things that we see and we kind of ignore in the woods, like tree snaps, tree breaks, maybe structures, who knows, other things that they're doing that now we need to kind of hone in on and say, you know what, there's an explanation for that, and it's not it's not necessarily a natural one. It's these creatures. Well, it's very important, this. I mean, especially for hunters. You know, and Chris, you know this very well, that you, if you want to learn about your quarry, you have to learn about the things that they do and their signs, um, which goes along with tracking and everything else. But you have to know the things to look for, you know, how they're eating behaviors on plants or what have you. Uh, so that's extremely important for these creatures. And I think since they've been here since, you know, before us, uh, what we see and our impression of what's out in the forest, uh, and we automatically assume that something is done by other animals, known animals, or if we see something, it's well, it's it's natural or, or what have you, you know, whether it's weather or, or, or whatever, uh, disease, things like that. But um, the things that they do, let's, and I'll give you an example, the broken trees. I discovered that back in uh, 1991. And it was so obvious. I mean, I don't, I don't just look at anything and say, well, that's, that had to be Bigfoot or it had to be this, had to be that. I got to be smacked across the head with it being so obvious for it to grab my attention because I'm trying to be careful and trying to be, make sure that what, what we talk about is credible. Um, the broken trees are something that to a regular person would be nothing. You wouldn't pay any attention to it. You know, if you gave it a passing thought, it might be, oh, well, the wind, the wind did that you know, or something like that. Never think twice about it. But once you recognize it for what it is, it sticks out like a sore thumb immediately when you're going through an area. And I suspect a lot of things that they do are like that. They just blend into the background and we dismiss them. Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I think you're bang on there. Um, My son noticed on the way in all this stuff, and I just didn't want to hear it at that time. Uh, I certainly did the next day. That's what we were looking for. So you're on spot. Um, in one of the pictures, even I sent you, I, I think I sent, I, I think I sent them all, but I might not have. But there's one distinctively. You can see that the root end of this tree is up. It's at the top of the structure, not the bottom. Um, the wind definitely didn't do that. <laughs> and. The, the, the intriguing one is the one that's actually was green and was snapped and you could still see the splicing of the, the green bark. And that was over my head. Um, so yeah, I think once you know what you're looking for, what's not natural, um, you do kind of get acute to seeing this stuff. Yeah. I think a lot of people jump to conclusions, you know, they, they have a big interest in the subject and, and when we discuss certain things, it's really easy to go out in the woods and, and you spot something that you're not familiar with. But I think you have to become uh, very studious with a lot of these things, learning all the different things that nature does. Uh, having grown grown up in, uh, yeah. you know, the Puget Sound area of Washington State, you get all kinds of weather throughout the year, just like in Canada and elsewhere in the northern part of the continent. 
Um, so weather does a lot of strange things to vegetation. And just yeah. being familiar enough with that through experience, uh, seeing that stuff and, and knowing what did that can help you rule out the things that don't belong. The things that don't belong are what are important. Right. Yeah, hey, hey, Will, I agree. Can, can, yeah, Will, can I um, ask a question real quick? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, everybody says that, uh, oh, well, why haven't they found a body? Or why aren't there any pictures that are legitimate and, and so forth. I mean, that's what everybody says. But I think that, and I know that you've talked about this before, but the, the fact is that they don't usually stay in the same place. So it's hard to get a picture when they're constantly moving. And um, it might be a little, a little bit different for, for other animals that might, might be doing the same, but they're not as fast and as muscular as as these creatures well, well there's a lot of there's a lot of factors involved in that question uh the first one is people who make those comments are usually making flip comments without really a lot of thought involved in it uh, maybe it's something they're not experienced with knowledge of uh, so they're just you know it's a kind of an off-the-cuff comment it's a silly comment because when you really delve into it there are pictures i've got legitimate pictures um now when it comes to and and tons of other evidence i mean so when you when you look at the creature's ability first of all they don't want human contact you know so when they when people do encounter them there's other things going on you know there are reasons behind why that you know they're allowing a person to see them uh it's usually not good reasons uh it's usually i mean like in your case chris you know it sounds very clear to me and i've heard this many times before uh, in a circumstance like that they're you know, you intrude in something that they're doing. It kind of ticks them off. So the behavior we observe is a response to, you know, that encounter uh, and them not liking it and what their response to it. And there's varying degrees of how they respond in a situation like that, but it's almost always the same kind of response. It's a very not happy one. You know, just to add to that, too, people saying, why isn't there photos? I mean, I don't have a photo of a whitetail giving birth in its natural habitat either. Um, doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Well, and a classic but, example is, what. look what you guys did. You had all the vocals. Now, you didn't see them, but you had the vocals going up for some time, and then how, and it was right at the very end that you pulled the phone out to record as an afterthought. Yeah. No, and the video, definitely, you can hear that something there, but you can't visually see it. There's something there. And, and a um, lot of people, we have a good friend of ours, Tom and I talk to frequently, and he had an encounter, and, and the last thing, and he would agree, the very last thing you think about is pulling something out of your pocket to take a picture. It's like, oh, stand there, hey, let's let's take the a selfie here with you. But, uh, you know, your concern is about, well, is it, am I going to fit in its stomach? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Well, it, yeah. exactly. It's self-preservation. You know, and I want to back up for a second. And, Will, you, you, you really touched on it. You know, when people say uh, they make the flippant response that, well, there's not a picture. Well, the people who make those comments, I'm like, are you guys, what qualifies you as a judge to determine whether that picture is legitimate or not? Because there are pictures. Um, people say, well, there's no bodies. Well, there are bodies. There have been, and you have to look at things. I, I was um, listening to a story last night. There was, there was a show we were watching, 
and where they go through, um, I can't think of the name of it offhand, but they go through, you know, old um, crime stories and things like that, disappearances and stuff. And they were talking in there about um, there was there was a, a a disappearance of a person, and it was in the 1930s, I believe. And um, there were bones found uh, by the investigating body, and when they were done, they just threw them away. You know, instead of leaving them in a box somewhere for future generations to be able to do, you know, when by the time DNA came along, they could have tested, was this actually the person that was was um, reported missing? Uh, and But you have to look back in time, you know, and see what the practices were during that time period. So before, let's say, the 1950s or 60s, when the subject of Bigfoot actually started gaining some traction in terms of interest with the public, Prior to that time, and there were there were specimens like, uh, you know, the young Sasquatch Jacko that was captured in British Columbia in 1882. Uh, when the creature died, it was summarily thrown overboard on the ship they were on going to England. You know, in those days, you didn't keep something around like that. You know, even if it was a human, they would have tossed it overboard when they died. Um, so you look through John Green's books, he has quite a number of stories where you know, there were bones or remains found of the creatures, and it just wasn't the practice in those days to keep something like that. Um, they, they would throw it away or just leave it where it was. You know, Will, uh, real quickly, yeah, because um, you mentioned Jacko and and um, all these other cases too, and one of the things that I think that you, you brought up a few minutes before that, that I think is so important is that there is a difference between like if if you see a bear claw right and then you see like fingerprints i mean it's it's pretty clear that there was some some being there that was not a bear right yeah i mean you know and there have been people i mean let's take a look at things like um when teddy roosevelt wrote his book wilderness hunter um I think that was published in yeah. 1892, if I'm exactly. correct. Exactly. Great book. His story, I mean, he had, a, he had a lot of, it was a collection of stories, and a lot of them were told to him by folks that lived in the West. So he had the story, the Bauman story. Um, and Bauman recounted this from when he was a young man. He was an old man when he told Roosevelt the story. Um, Roosevelt just wrote it off as a, as a goblin or a ghost story. He didn't, I'm sure, didn't really believe it necessarily, but he related the story in his book. But the point is, one of the men in the story talked about, you know, after they had the initial encounter with the creature, you know, it was uh, looming at the end of their lean-to while they were sleeping. They woke up and immediately shot at it, thinking it was probably a bear or something. Um, and they didn't really think anything more about it, except that maybe it was a bear, uh, until they started. one of the guys started examining the footprints. And even then, he says, well, look, this bear's been walking on two legs. And, and Bauman himself... You know, he, his comment was, yeah, they, the bear did look like it had been walking on two legs, but they still thought it was a bear. So, you know, I mean, things, you know, people are looking for normal explanations and, and in, instead of seeing what's actually there. But sometimes, you know, you have to realize that, look, this isn't something normal. I think I might have got off track a little bit with that. That's <laughs> <laughs> all good. No, no, no. That, that that's actually yeah, per perfect. I mean, 
Yeah, that whole the the Bowman story. Um, I I personally believe, and I've I've read the chapter in in Teddy's book. Um, I kind of come to the conclusion that he initially was maybe skeptical of it, but I think that ultimately he came to believe it once he learned out more. Because I think that if you read the story, uh, I think that it may have actually happened. Yeah, it probably did. I mean, um, but the point is, you know, we're looking at details and, and, you know, not recognizing or something, you know, you think is a normal animal or circumstance. And then, you know, the more you examine it, the more you come to the realization that, you know, maybe this isn't what I thought it was the first time. Um, oh, good, Brian. You have a question? Oh, no, no, no. I was going to say, can you uh, just briefly recap the um, the Bowman story real quick? Um, well, as a, as, a, as a brief story, uh, there were two guys, two trappers. Um, and, and again, I, I don't know what the time frame is because, you know, Roosevelt said that Bowman was an old man when he related the story. Uh, the story apparently happened when he was a young man, so you could speculate that it was probably 30 or 40 years prior to his telling the story. Um, book was published 1892. So, I mean, you can, we can speculate all day, but let's say, you know, it was the 1860s when this occurred or 1870s. Um, nothing really known about the subject in those days, except, you know, the native uh, folks. And I'm sure some of the mountain men and, and people who were trappers who knew those folks, and, and even Roosevelt recounts that he probably heard some of these stories, you know, in the Indians' camps, you know, um, because he doesn't, you know, doesn't know whether the story was made up or it was just superstition or, or a real story, but he, he told it like it wasn't in the elements, like a real story. But the two guys were trappers. They didn't have a lot of luck, except they went into this one valley that had a bad reputation. A lone hunter had been killed there the year before. His body was found partially eaten. Uh, they don't know by what they didn't say. So the two guys went there, set their traps out, um, and the creature came to their camp the first night. They shot at it, and it stayed over there for some time across the creek, you know, moaning and making noises, which pretty well spooked them. Um, while they were out with their trapping, you know, they had the feeling of being followed all day long, which we've heard many times with people talking about being out in the forest and how they having the feeling, either the feeling or hearing, you know, sounds. And, and these two men did hear sounds occasionally, you know, uh, brush breaking where they were being followed. So, uh, the, the gist of, or the basis, the bottom line here is when they, they got too spooked, they decided to leave the area. One guy went to get some traps. The other one went back to pack camp. Uh, when the first guy bombing got back, you know, he found his partner dead. Something had sunk four big fang marks in the back of his neck, breaking his neck, and then rolled back and forth across his body, killing him. Uh, and then the guy just grabbed his rifle and took off running to where the horses were hobbled and, and got the heck out of there. So um, that's that story. <laughs> well, you know, and there's a couple of interesting things with that. Look at the parallels between that and, and the uh, Fred Beck story. You know, in, in around Mount St. Helens, Ape Canyon, Ape Similar. Canyon. You know, they 
Yeah, you shoot at it, and it doesn't go away. It sits there, licks its wounds, figuratively speaking, and it's like, guess what? You guys are going to get it. It kind of ticks them off when you shoot at them. So I, I recommend people do not take a pot shot at one. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? We've also heard that if you take a pot shot at one or, heaven forbid, you actually take one out, if they don't get you, they're going to take it out on the next human they can catch. Very likely, yes, retribution. It, it, yes, it's total retribution. So, um, But the other thing that I found interesting, and you'd mentioned, it found uh, fang marks, <clears throat> excuse me, in the back of the neck. And that, if that was true, then that would sound like maybe a type 2 yes, instead absolutely. of a type 1. Right, correct. And, and those have a nastier temperament than the, the Patterson-type creature. Not a whole lot, but a little bit. Hey, Will, uh, let, me, let me ask you real quick, because um, I know, obviously, you, you've talked about this before, and I know that you said that, uh, like, during the night period, they tend to hunt alone, but during the day, it might be more of a team thing. Um, do you think that changes over the different types, or, well, I mean, are, are they mostly, like, pack hunters, or are they mostly individual hunters well it's it's a combination it's not necessarily at night that they hunt individually uh, i don't really have a lot of detailed information about that just yet i just know that at during a 24-hour time period there's one portion where they'll hunt by themselves you know it's probably to keep up their own strength and there's another point where they'll hunt as a group you know they they'll, they they spend a lot of their time hunting and other activities but hunting is a big one Just a retrogress here. Um, on some of those stories that you were just talking about, the older stories, um, you should probably try to acquaint yourself with stories of Clayton Mack. He was a, a native hunting guide in Bella Coola, B.C. He's got a lot, he had a lot of stories. Um, he was a very serious hunting guide. But um, check some of those out. They're very, very interesting, and he was a no-nonsense kind of guy. Yeah, I've, I've actually read quite a few of those. Yeah, they're very interesting, eh? Yeah, there's a lot of the older stories that uh, there's a lot of value to them. Now, there's there's one that people should know that's probably not real, and that was the Albert Ostman story. And there's people who say, oh, no, that was real. Well, you know, right. having known Rene Hinden for as long as I did, he was the primary and original interviewer of Albert Ostman, and he stayed in contact with him for over 20 years. And, and I asked Renee once about that. I said, well, what do you, what do you think about Osman's story? Because when I read through all the Green's materials many years ago for the first time, that story really didn't match up with any of the other ones. Uh, in other words, when you look at all the stories, there are a lot of particulars that are, that are very similar to one another. That one was a standalone one. It just didn't match up. And I asked Hendon, he says, you know, over all the years I stayed in touch with the old man, he kept changing his story. He says, so in my estimation, it was fake. But a lot of, but that doesn't mean a lot of the other old timers were, you know, making stuff up. They, uh, they were very matter of fact, like Clayton Mack, they were relating things that they knew or had heard, uh, verbatim. So it wasn't, wasn't, uh, they weren't just making stuff up. No. And Clayton has a few stories where he actually had clients with him on hunts and what they what they experienced so that makes it interesting i don't know if you can 
verify all those now. That was quite a while ago. Yeah, I'd have to look back. I mean, I haven't delved in some of the old stories for a while, but um, it, looking at particulars and behaviors is kind of a, a key thing. You know, the behaviors, you know, from a species are going to repeat. Uh, and unfortunately, today right. people can make up stories because they can go back and look at all those behaviors that repeat right. and concoct a story that sounds just like the other ones. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. I know cases where that's actually happened. I know certain people who have made up their stories. Um, of course, you know, there are ways to verify um, whether those are real or not. But And I've actually debunked some of those stories. But um, but the story, but the facts do remain that when you look at the old stories, you can tell uh, across time and geography that there's a consistency. Tom, you have a question? I do. I got to we're going to shift gears a little bit here. I'm going to jump into one of our uh, audience members question. This is Mick from Australia and listening to episode 88. He said his curiosity was piqued by a question regarding we're going to love this, the three toed tracks and the implication that something more deadly than a Sasquatch was leaving them. He said he was wondering if we could elaborate a little bit on that. Uh, he says, if it's as dangerous as was implied, he says he's assuming it is, uh, from a safety standpoint, could we give some details on that, uh, areas to avoid this thing, and why shouldn't people go looking for it? Um, so what are our comments on the three-toed creature? Well, some of it I have to kind of keep under wraps, at least for the time being, because of the sources of information. Um, the three-toed ones are something that, um, <clears throat> are dangerous. They stay mostly around swampy areas. So if you want to avoid these things, avoid those areas. Um, uh, apparently our, our, uh, normal creatures don't like them either. Um, we spoke with our, for one of our friends recently who, who had some information about that and I'm not going to go into that because again, it's, um, it's something that we're not supposed to really discuss a whole lot yet. Um, but they are to be avoided. The comment to me was, um, you don't want to meet the maker of those tracks. Um, and again, sorry, I can't elaborate on those too much. It's just something, if you find it, don't go tracking them and, and don't, uh, you know, don't pursue something like that. I'm just going to do a real quick follow-up. Do you remember a year, year and a half ago, we were talking to Lee, and he sent us pictures, and it was the three-toed tracks underneath the window when he was living here in Oregon, which is a little disturbing. It's like, no, I don't want those things here. And he was insistent that it was a Bigfoot, and you were insistent that no. <laughs> yeah, they, they are not a Sasquatch. Um, nothing like Nothing like this. Uh, and it's it's in a topic that I really don't want to go into because it's not related to what we discuss. But uh, it's in a different area altogether. So, and you know, Buddy Fight, the uh, the musician and, and former Hell's Angels that I knew in Southern Washington, he had also found three toe tracks one time. Um, when he took me to the location, I didn't see any tracks, but they could have been weathered. You know, by the time we got there, because there's a lot of rain and. You know what that does to tracks in the northwest so um but i believe that he did find them but again they they were in, a, in an area with bigfoot activity but they are not these creatures at all 
Hey, hey Will, can I um, can I ask you a question real, real quick? Sure. Um, <laughs> obviously, yeah. That's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's what we do. So, <laughs> so I just want to ask you um, about how they attack. Do you think that their primary attack is just to like you know attack a deer and and bite its neck or how much do you think that they actually throw rocks at maybe a deer or um or whatever predator or prey that that they're looking for or using sticks and so forth how much of it is just a like jumping on it and and biting its neck compared to how much they um maybe throw rocks or other tools well we've got examples of all of that actually uh and there's a separation when it comes to their prey animals in other words deer things like that they're not throwing objects at them um and like with we had randy on here a while back who witnessed one stalk and kill a moose Um, and we've had the other guest uh, i think he was in texas wasn't that right tom with the deer or was, or was that elsewhere or Oklahoma? I can't remember. No, no, yeah, he was, he was in Texas and we've had a couple others. Right. So similar that have witnessed these things actually killing animals and, and they do it with their hands. Um, so that's pretty cut and dried actually. And we have lots of examples where they twist their necks. Even my friend John found a deer in an area near where we first found the footprints back in 72. And then I had my encounters in 74, uh, with its neck twisted. So that's typically what they do with their prey animals, break their legs or, you know, incapacitate them some way. If they're hunting a group, they'll incapacitate some and then come back for them, you know, after they can't move and, and finish the job and take them away. An individual, they just kill them on the spot. Um, when it comes to throwing objects, that seems to be directed towards humans and pretty much exclusively. Uh, I, unless somebody's got an example where, you know, they want to contact us where they've, you know, seen these creatures throw rocks or, or sticks or whatever at animals. Uh, I haven't got any examples of that typically what I hear is, is towards people. And that's an entirely different behavior altogether. That's not necessarily hunting behavior. And and also it, it's, it's not just um, hunting, but it's just to kind of send a, um, a threatening message to people because they could throw rocks or whatever sticks or whatever they want at houses to kind of get the people out of there that's what they want well and and there's something that's interesting too oftentimes people say they'll make the comment it slapped the side of the house well what if that was an object instead of their hand um you know oftentimes you hear a sound you're very startled but was it was it an object or was it the creature itself yeah, that's that's a good, that's a great point. Um, I mean, ultimately, when you think about it, it comes down to territory. So if they think that you're violent, their their you know t- territorial uh, like space, they will uh, respond. Even if they're not trying to necessarily um, attack you, although they will. But even if that's not their goal, just violent violating their territory i think means a a a huge thing for them it it can be it really depends though i mean i i've been in places where they had territorial markings and um 
they were fresh ones. So the creatures were in the area, but um, they didn't necessarily do anything. Now, we've been out also where we had things thrown at us, not big objects. Uh, but that might have been in response to, you know, I, I'm talking about a situation when we were teenagers and, and my friend John Adams, his brother, threw a rock out into the brush. And lo and behold, here comes this long branch, almost like a spear, come flying back at the group of us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, but we, and we have other stories where people have had softball-sized rocks thrown at them, sometimes attention-getting, you know, because of distance. And, uh, and Tom, you know, who I'm, I'm talking about our, our good friend who yeah. related that story recently, you know, for, for nearly 700 yards, these rocks were being thrown other times much closer. There was another story from Northern Washington, a gentleman, um, who doesn't want to be identified for, for very good reasons, um, told of a situation where he had to go down through this brush and, uh, there were two of these creatures behind some brush. He just saw their arms as they were throwing softball-sized rocks at him. Um, and this was a fairly close proximity. I think he said 30 or 40 feet away, and he flagged a, a big truck down and uh, to get out of there. He was fortunate that he was able to do that. He was on foot. And yeah. um, the truck would actually sustain quite a bit of damage from these rocks, uh, and they got the heck out of there before there was any more you know, escalation in the behavior. So it just depends. You know, it depends on the circumstances, what they're throwing and why they're throwing it. And, and Tom, uh, I, sorry, I know, I know you want to ask a question real quick, but Will, let me just ask you real quickly. Do you think that a lot of times they are trying to hit us? I mean, w w like you, like you said, like a softball or a baseball, are they trying to hit us or just send us a warning? I mean, what, like, what, what do you think about that? Well, it depends on the circumstance. I mean, if they want to hit you, they probably are going to. Um, and we don't know how many people they've actually hit like that because you wouldn't survive something like that, most likely. Um, the smaller object is probably more attention-getting. The big objects, yeah, they're trying to get you, most likely. Sometimes it's for attention-getting. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, what do you think? I would think if they wanted to actually hit you, they could probably reach out and grab you instead. If they were feeling that aggressive to actually hit you, they'd probably hit you. Right, good point. Good point. Enough. So I'm going to, I, I got a question. I'm going to back up a little bit here while we're talking about how they take out their prey and how they kill. Uh, Will, we just got an email from somebody who she was talking about, and she was a little bit disturbed by this. They would actually go through an area and they would bark almost like a dog and they would provoke the dogs into barking in a response. The owners will let the dog out shortly thereafter. She heard the dogs being dispatched. Yeah. I mean, look at the example. I'll go back to, you know, the state trooper I met back in 1975, Mark Pittenger. You know, I've related this quite a number of times where he told me that he was out tracking these creatures one day in, in the Puyallup area you know, where the Puyallup Screamer stuff was going on. And he'd actually seen all three of the creatures, the same same group that I saw just a few miles away. Uh, only I only saw two of them, but he saw all three of them. And he found a bunch of coyotes where he said it was obvious that they had, and they, they imitated coyotes. You know, the recordings were made very similar, but they were not coyotes because we heard uh, recordings that were made 
you know, of known coyotes in the same location as these creatures. Um, to the untrained ear, they were very similar. But if you really listen to him, you could pick out very clear differences. Uh, but anyway, he said he found these things, and he immediately said, it appeared to me that they were luring coyotes in with these vocals. And then they were killing them by grabbing them by the hindquarters and slamming their heads against alder trees 10 feet off the ground. And, and he said they would tear them apart and eat them right there on the spot. And he said the sight was so grisly. And he was a big guy, and it scared him. He low-crawled out of the area having a thirty out 6 in his hands so that he wouldn't be detected. Um, so that's a very clear example. So with dogs, sure. And, and dogs also, if they're probing, let's say, you know, a, a rural neighborhood, you know, where there's houses bordering tree lines, um, they probably check to see if dogs are there. And if dogs are in a location, they may not approach it, you know, being it, it would alert humans and, and wait to go to the places where there are no responses. But in that case, they, it seems that they were luring the dogs out specifically for food. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's that's really, I mean. <laughs> Chris, what do you think? I, do you ever hear any examples of, of animals being lured out like that? or? Um. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, I mean, it stands to reason. The one place we were living in, um, my son's had a, an encounter, not a visual, um, something slapped a tree. And that whole summer was really strange. And I had heard, I think I told you about this before, it was after dark, but I had heard goose calls that weren't goose calls. And they were not very well. <laughs> so it wasn't the hunter trying, it's dark, you don't hunt at dark but something was making those calls very poorly and uh, the farm that was just about a mile and a half away from us down the hill at the edge of the conservation land he had had over a dozen cows with their necks snapped um they weren't predated were they, something had definitely killed them overnight were, were they adult cattle they were wow that's amazing yeah and they were all like snap necks you know, I interviewed. And they weren't consumed. I interviewed a guy in the south too, a number of years back. At um, they had a situation going where one of these creatures or more were in the area, and for whatever reason, they seemed to be really ticked off at the local people because they would just kill uh, horses, pigs, dogs, whatever animals were there, and it was like vindictive. They would either bite through their spinal column and the back of their necks, which is very similar to the uh, Bauman story, coincidentally or they would twist their necks or what have you. They were killing animals and they would leave them almost like a message. Hey, Will, uh, r r real quickly, uh, let me ask you, um, do they, I mean, do they, for all these animals, and I'm, I'm not, not just talking about humans, but I mean, for all these animals, do they mainly target the young uh, uh, creatures or the older ones? Well, you have to look at what the circumstance is. If, like we're talking here, if with vindictive behavior, oftentimes it's the adult animals. Uh, hunting behavior dictates that you're going to go after the easiest meal. So that's young, old, infirm, what have you. But Chris, let me ask you, uh, going back to that a bit, do you know if that farmer with the cattle uh, had had any previous incidents that were unusual? Yeah, he had. Yeah, he had. And this one actually made the newspaper, the local newspaper there. Um, he actually had great Pyrenees dogs for his um, for his land, 
Um, so yeah, he had, it didn't happen every year, but it seemed, it had happened before. He had issues. Um, and this particular chunk of land was conservation. Actually, it was two different jurisdictions of conservation. So um, they were so tight there that I couldn't rip down a shed and rebuild. If I ripped down my shed, I would have to ask the conservations for permission to rebuild. It was very sticky, man. Um, and it was, this bush had been unchanged since forever. Like nothing was ever built there. And uh, nothing's allowed to be built in the conservation. You can walk it, mm-hmm. but you can't leave trace yourself. You can't take trees out. You can't chop anything down. You can't touch it. Um, but he had, you know, and um, it was very, it was very strange. And it made sense to me because we had a very strange summer there. You know, and I'd actually heard vocalizations. That's when I was telling you about the almost sounded like Japanese singing mm. in the bush. And I was on the phone with somebody, and I put it on speaker, and I said, "Can you hear this, or am I going crazy?" Um, and they definitely could. So it was it was a very strange. And it was the same. My sons had had stuff happen there, um, and then there was the the goose calls, the horrible goose calls. You know, something was trying to mimic it deep in the bush. So this was an um, escalation it, up to these dozen or so cattle being killed with their necks twisted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we went for a big, long hike back there. And if you go deep enough, you got to be very careful. Everything starts to look the same, and it gets very, very hilly, but lots of trees. Um, there's black walnut, there's oak, there's maple, there's all sorts of stuff. Um, but you can get turned around pretty quick. Um, I was convinced on all, one of our big, long walks, we were followed back. And instinctively, I thought maybe it's a cougar. But, I mean, cougar in Ontario, where we were, likely not, but it's quite possible because it is pretty dense bush. Um, but then things started getting a little weird. Yeah. Yeah, you know, can... can um just kind of a follow-up, I mean, can you tell me uh, or tell us how exactly weird it was? Because everything that you said made total sense. But, I mean, when when you see the um, experience, I mean, it's it's got to be, like, completely, um, uh, like, incredible as to how weird it is. Yeah, it is. Um, there were several occasions where my kids were playing outside. This is all daytime stuff. And I could hear them playing and I was in the kitchen uh, preparing something for like a barbecue lunch. Um, so I heard them and I stuck my head out the door and yelled at them like, hey guys, blah, 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 blah. And I was yelling towards the woodshed, behind the woodshed, because that's where I could see stuff moving in here and that's where I thought they were. Well, they responded. They were in a completely different location, and they popped their heads out saying, we're over here. I'm like, what? I said, get in the house, like now. And I kept my eyes on this one spot. Now, that happened a couple times. And my kids not knowing what's what in the bush, they've had things happen there too, but they were out getting close to dusk just with hatchets in the bush, just being boys, right? And they heard a couple grunts, and they didn't know what it was. Um, not that they would, right? They wouldn't, they wouldn't know a buck or anything that that too, too much at that age, but something slapped a tree very close to them and birds flew everywhere. And it was a loud slap and they could actually see this big tree waving back and forth from it. 
my one son dropped his hatchet and they both ran to the house. Um, but several things happened that summer where I was starting to get a little bit, you know, this isn't normal, right? It's now that I thought it was a, possibly a, a cougar or something, it definitely was not. There was something hanging around the house off and on. And after they had that experience for themselves, that night there was that weird singing coming from a couple locations in the bush. And it did sound like Japanese girls' choir. That's what it sounded like. And it sounds ridiculous to say. But And I called somebody and I said, tell me if you can hear this because this is freaking weird. My son's just had this weird experience. And they definitely could hear it. And that's what it sounded like. Exactly. So so let me ask you, um, I mean, everybody that's probably listening to the show, I mean, we, we know that the creature exists. We all believe that it exists. Um, but just out of curiosity, like, what are you going to tell your, your kids? Uh, I mean, are you going to tell them that, hey, this creature exists? Or, I mean, like, what's your kind of parenting um, approach to that? Um, I mean, because we all know that it exists, but it's just like, how do you tell your kids about this, this whole thing that you, that you experienced and, um, legitimately so, I mean, you experienced it. So how do you tell your, yeah, yeah. I, I tell them, I tell them pretty much as I was told when I lived on the reservation that these are creatures from creation, um, they are as real as a moose or an elk or a bear or anything else. They are out there, um, and that's it. Mind your business. Don't be provocative. <laughs> don't provoke them. Don't really go looking for them. But if you, like, look, don't be stupid and know what your sign is, right? And I've told them, like, hunting for me, I love hunting. I don't like killing stuff. Um, and the most I've learned in my 50 years of being alive is the times and hours I've spent watching in the bush exactly hunting scouting and just watching what they're doing and why they're doing it and you do that for countless hours of your life exactly um so then i i start telling them if we do it i'm suspecting these things do the same thing um they watch us they don't want to be around us but if you're in a situation do know that you're going to come out second yeah, you want to watch the opposition, Chris? I gotta. I want to go back for a second. I'm curious. I was th- been thinking about you know the farmer with a dozen cattle with their necks twisted yeah, right. and killed. Uh, what yeah. was the farmer's response? And how how do you? I mean, how do you approach the local officials with that? What do you tell them? I don't know. Um, he was perplexed. Um, farmers being farmers, they're pretty uh, down to earth people. They're pretty you know common sense kind of troubleshooting kind of folks, right? Um, he didn't know what to think. He knew, he damn well knew it wasn't wolves, it wasn't coyotes, it wasn't that type of thing. He, there was, he knew. He just didn't like the situation. Yeah, they're not going to break the animal's neck, especially something as big as a cow. That's a pretty tough job. A, a person can't do that. You think about um, the strength it takes to do that. You'd have a hard time with a backhoe doing it. Right? Right? <laughs> um, yeah, so he was completely perplexed. He was worried, very worried. Did he have any other animals? You talked about the dogs. I mean, were the dogs killed? Were other animals killed in this fashion? He had not, not at this, not at this encounter, no. Um, but in the past, he had said he had dogs killed before. 
and he all had the big uh, Great Pyrenees there just to watch over the livestock and keep the coyotes and wolves away and stuff like that, right? Sure. But nothing happened to the dogs on this occasion, but he had had in the past dozen or so years had had dogs killed. Hey, hey, hey uh, Chris, let me just ask you real quick. Are, were, were they big dogs or small dogs? Great Pyrenees? They're about 140 pounds apiece. Oh, my gosh. Those, those yeah, were dogs dog. bred for, uh, for keeping wolves and things away, weren't they? Yep, yep. I mean, yeah. uh, they're, an, uh, they're gorgeous dogs, and everyone I've met then just loves, right? Like they're, but they're not people-people dogs. They're not right. going to come and want to be pet all the time. They're very independent on their own, and they'll spend their whole day just walking the property. They're very Making territorial. Sure everything's cool. They're very, yeah, very. Yeah, friends of mine actually got two Great Pyrenees, and they were 325 pounds between the wow. two of them because <laughs> they were having issues with grizzly bear. So as soon as they got these two suckers, no more grizz. <laughs> yeah, that's why <what laughs> I, I was reading around. there are dogs that were bred, you know, in uh, Eastern Europe, specifically for bear and, and, uh, and wolves. Yeah, and Akita. Like Akita are like that, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, often yeah, wonder... I got a friend of mine who oh, has... Oh, well, I was just going to say, I got a friend who's got two Grand Pyrenees, and he commented to me one time, he'd hear this snapping noise outside of his house. So he went out there to see what was going on. And one of the Grand Pyrenees was taking some of the rocks that they had decorated the area with, these old round river rocks, and was crushing them in his jaw. He was <laughs> snapping them open. They must have an incredible bite strength. <laughs> oh, I can. And they, just and they got a really big head. Like, I, I, their heads are really wide. Like, they're a big, yes, big dog. You know, yeah, we, we used to have a bull mastiff, and uh, I was amazed. I'd never been around a dog like that until I came here. And, um, you know, growing up with my collie and everything, we'd give him bones, and there'd be bones all over. You'd find them when you'd go mow the lawn. <laughs> and um, we'd give the, uh, the mastiff um, rib bones, you know, pretty stout ones, and she would chew them up in seconds and swallow them. So I can only imagine a dog that size, you know, which, which is much bigger than the Mastiff, um, you know, what it could do. But now, the question I'm wondering about is, you know, we, we hear most of the time dogs are, are deathly afraid of these creatures. My own dog, I witnessed it. You know, he never never shied away from anything. Really? Yep. Really? And he ran from these creatures. So... I'm wondering how his dogs or other dogs, big ones like that, would react to these things. I mean, they must have the same instinct. He kind of thought that, you know, when I talked to him briefly, it wasn't a huge conversation, but it was about 20 minutes, um, that the reason nothing happened to these dogs, and he had about five of them, um, were because they they did not engage. They went somewhere. Um, and I know Pyrenees, man. I mean, they're not scared of a bear, but... This thing probably had them on the run, and they weren't coming out. And they're outside dogs. I mean, they have kennels and stuff outside that are insulated, but they're not inside dogs. They don't spend time inside, especially so, at so, night. So, Chris, let, let me just follow up on that. So they were, uh, you know, not scared of bears, but they were scared of this thing. I mean, that it seems that, like it. Yeah, that that that's incredible, and 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 also. Will, like you just said, I mean, Willie uh, was a great dog, not scared of anything, used to go after porcupines, but oh, as no. soon as he got into that area, um, all of a sudden, he went back to his doghouse. <laughs> well, no, he, he, 
he got up to the tree line. He went chasing out there like he normally did. You know, if I told him to go get something, he'd take off running for it. And uh, he got to the tree line and he froze. And his ears were perked up on high alert and everything. And then he was only a couple moments and he wheeled around and went running past me back to the back porch of our house uh, as fast as he could. And I thought, what the heck? I never saw him before or after do anything like that. Uh, he would chase anything. So I'd go after groups of coyotes, you know, you name it. He would chase it. But uh, whatever that was, and then I found out what it was shortly thereafter and should have followed his example. Uh, <laughs> and so, then, so Tom, and then also, did, oh, go ahead. Did, did you also say that, that the um, your your bull, your your uh, the the big bull, um, all of a sudden, who is like the big master? And then all of a sudden he went into hiding as soon as. Oh, that was a different uh, situation. That was, that was before I knew anything about this subject when I was probably nine or 10 years old. Um, that was where we lived, where the rock quarry monster thing happened. Uh, and of course, you know, when that, that kid, you know, said that we had no idea, we had no, never heard of that, you know? Um, and I have yet to be able to find anybody that else knew about that particular term, but where we lived back there was it was pretty far back in the middle of nowhere and the incident that 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 happened to it wasn't just the bull and and that bull was mean it was a big angus bull you know a couple thousand pounds of of hatred (laughs) i'll give you an example that bull was so mean and it could go they called him the ghost because it would go through any fence didn't matter if it was electric barbed wire combination it would go through anything uh, my dad and his buddies and uncle, they went out one time and they put a brass ring in his nose. And I remember they had to chain him to four stumps so he couldn't move so they could do that. And then the, and the brass ring didn't do a whole lot. So they put a 10 foot logging chain on that, a heavy one. And he still got through stuff. So they put a back, the back, you know, a, a bicycle wheel, you know, one of the large ones <laughs> with the sprocket on it. They put that on the end of the chain and the damn bull would still go through things. <laughs> <laughs> so when this incident happened, I was riding my bike one afternoon in the summer and uh, my mom was out by our barn and my two younger sisters were there and she says, hey, come and take a look at this. And I rode up there and, and they were all staring at the nearby wood line. It was really thick brush back there, super thick. And whatever was there was at the edge of the tree line. You couldn't see it, but the brush was being, I mean, these tr- trees were just being thrashed couple of alder trees and some fur there i mean just you know like like remember we t- heard buddy fight story where the creature approached them and was grabbing the saplings and was doing this display and, and after hearing him tell that it reminded me of that situation it was it was very much like that but we couldn't see what was doing it but all the cows including that mean bull were inside the barn with their heads poking out and their ears out really on high alert facing that way so they were scared to death of whatever was in the timber I can't say it was one of these creatures, but I don't know what else it could have been. Tom, I, I like the story about the bull, though. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, we had a similar one when I was a kid. I had to walk home from school, and there was this one fence, and you, as you get closer and closer to this fence, because it had a couple of rotten posts on it, and this bull would come over, and it would rut, it would run up, and then it would push, and it would test those posts, and you're like, Okay, 
you always had plan B. All right. Now, if that thing gets out, where am I going to go? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one of my cousins came over one time. She's uh, uh, my cousin, Linda. We were all out in the pasture and, and the bull was out there and he was a little ways away. But she was wearing this bright red shirt. And of course, you know, be being a smart aleck, I was poking fun at her. I said, you know, that red shirt's going to make that bull chase us. And just like on cue, that <laughs> son of a gun pulled his head up and come running like a freight train after us. <laughs> and there was, you know, the bull finally met his end uh, in a fairly predictable way. He, uh, we were at school, and and I, my mom told me this when I got home from school. She said that the bull had gotten out like he always did, and our she was outside, and our, our family friend, Charlie, who occasionally lived with us, he had a trailer on our property at that time, and he would do handy work around the farm, you know, for his uh, for staying there. And he was out there, and the bull started chasing both of them around the house, and they got in the house. She called my dad at work. He worked for the county. He came home, took his 30-06 and killed the bull, and, and that was that. <laughs> He'd had enough of it. <laughs> Well, that was pretty tasty Angus. Hamburgers. It was pretty tasty Angus, let me tell you. <laughs> we, the bull's name was Joe, and, uh, you know, Joe was pretty good hamburger, so. <laughs> hey, hey, but, Will, uh, um, like, we've talked before about this, but um, I know that you had a picture of Willie, who is such a great dog. I mean, such a collie, right? He, he was a collie. Yeah, he right? was a collie. Yeah, yeah, and you gave me so, like a great picture that hopefully, hey Tom, can can you put this on our website? Um, a picture of Willie, uh, great. Yeah, job. absolutely. Send, yeah, send it to me. I'll I'll uh, we'll get we'll get Willie memorialized. That's right. He was he was the, the bigfoot yeah. witness before me. So, <laughs> and hey hey hey, hey Will, just real quick, um, how long did you have Willie? Uh, he was around 13 years before he met his end going after a porcupine for the second time. And, um, I, I, yeah. I was in the army at that time. So I was there, I saw him and I, I had to leave, I had to be at base. And it was one of those situations where you have no choice. You have to be there on time. So I, I asked my, one of my sisters if they, they'd get him to the vet right away. And I was gone for probably a week. I think we were in the field. So. I came back and I said, well, how's, how's Willie? Where's he at? And, uh, the story was that he left, he went off and died on his own, but I think my dad probably shot him, you know, put him out of his misery because I, it was really, it was really bad. And it looked like that something that the vet probably wouldn't be able to fix. Um, so, but I think he would have been around a lot longer. He was, you know, 13 years old, but he acted a lot younger. So, uh, you know, well, Poor Willie, you know, rest in peace, you know. Yeah. Well, listen, my, my, my cat is basically like, you know, 14, and she is is, is, is perfect. And I, I'm sure that Willie was, was such a great dog. And he was. I, I, will, I, I, will, I will tell you that um, because I can't imagine losing um, Hermione, my, my cat, right now. But um, I can tell you that just losing a pet, like I did with my dog Walter, several years ago, I mean, it's one of the the worst things that you can experience. I mean, it's almost like losing uh, a child. It is. There were some funny so, stories with that dog too. I mean, he was the dog. The dog was crazy. <laughs> he, 
he, you know, being a collie, he would do things like going over to the neighboring farms. Hmm. Yeah, he chased porcupines, right? Well, that was that was a hobby, I'm sure, but he would do things like, you know, we where I lived, the, the, all the neighbors, everybody had, you know, between ten and and thirty acre parcels, so. He would go a couple farms over one, like one time, and they had a bunch of little piglets. I think there were 16 or 20 of them. And he herded them all over to our yard. And I looked at him and I said, Willie, you take those back where you got them. And he turned right around and herded them back like he understood exactly what I was telling him. There was another situation. He would do things like, you know, we'd, I'd have friends come over and my younger sisters and stuff. And, and I tell them, you know, we're, we're going to play, you know, chase or whatever we call it. And I said, take off across the yard. We had this big yard. And I'd hold him by his collar and I'd get in his ear and say, Willie, sick him, you know, and kind of nudge him forward. I'd do that a few times. I'd let him get about 50 or 60 feet away and then I'd let him go. And he would tackle him four feet off the ground. He would dive at him. <laughs> and, and probably the funniest thing, and, and it almost killed us. Um, I was helping Charlie. I don't know, it was probably you know 15 or 16. We're under my dad's car trying, we're changing the transmission. It was an old Chevy Impala. And those things had huge transmissions. So there were two of us holding this thing up. It was disconnected from the car. And a friend of mine came over, and, and he was pretty skinny, maybe. I think he weighed he weighed under 100 pounds. And he was on his hands and knees talking to us under the car. Well, here comes Willie from behind, mounts him, and starts humping him. <laughs> he, he's swearing and trying to hit the dog. And here's the dog just going away with his tongue hanging out, enjoying himself. My friend couldn't get the dog off him. And we were dying laughing under the car, you know, hold, trying to hold this transmission up, watching this scene. <laughs> oh, he was such a good dog. <laughs> No, I, and, and, you know, to, to, to be honest, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, yeah, Willie would definitely appreciate you um, being a good owner. and, and uh, You know, but he would I'm, do I'm things sure that, too, like my friend John, you know, we talked about <clears throat> going up the trail where you we usually use between houses and, and I quit using it because I went up our neighbor's driveway the last time I went up there to use that trail and was growled at. And it wasn't by anything I knew. Um, and I immediately, my, my instinct was I turned around and I made it beat feet right back to our house and I never went up that way again. So John came over not long after that time period and stayed at our place a little bit late. It was starting getting towards dark. So um, I couldn't go, you know, with him up there, but I, I let him take the dog with him. And that's when they found the deer with its head, neck twisted off, or not off, but it was twisted, you know, like a corkscrew. And, um, you know, yeah. so the dog went with him and then the dog came back on his own. So, yeah, Tom, yeah. did you have any, you have a, any more listener questions or. Yeah, we do. We, we've got one here. This is uh Jim and, um, Jim wants to know have and this is perfect timing. Has anyone ever described screams as coming from one loud source that sound like three to four voices, or excuse me, four to five voices at a time that were they sounded like but they were not coyotes and i'll let chris yeah I'll run that one by you that's first. what i was thinking too i sure have <laughs> yeah, yeah same here um that experience we had in well i had in alberta and valley view area um i call it valley view area but yeah um it was a dead of night it was a new moon there was no moon whatsoever black 
quiet, and this thing screamed, and it was loud, and it echoed. And the scream went on for far longer than it should have, and it caught my attention, but it only did it the once, and it was very, very loud. It was a scream, howl, yowl. Yeah. You know, that sounds just like what I heard up in the Olympic Peninsula. And and it did it just the one time, but boy, it was loud. It was the loudest one I've ever heard, but it was also close, but it was super loud. This was close, too. Yeah. This was just, just across the river, because we were actually camped right on a sandbar on the riverbank. Yeah, same situation. Um, that's how low this particular tributary. Yeah, really, eh? Yeah, yeah. We yeah. were on the other side Maybe. of the river, and it was up on this little ridge across from us, maybe 100 yards or so, tops. And it screamed, and just every it reverberated through the valley, and everybody else in all the other campsites were like, "What? What was that? What was that?" And dogs were barking and things. It was crazy. Yeah, that definitely got my attention. Well, you know, we heard that as well. Uh, that well, you and I talked about that. Dalton and Joe and I went out uh, earlier this year, middle of summer, middle of August, <laughs> and and we heard. It sounded like coyotes, sort of, but it wasn't. It wasn't a good imitation. It was very loud, and uh, Joe goes, "That is not coyotes," and I think he phrased it a bit differently. Uh, <laughs> not Joe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and yeah, it's it's a it's a very distinct sound, and it does seem to carry multiple octaves. It's like they're trying to mimic a coyote. I can't imagine a coyote in the world going. Yeah, that's that's our cousins over there. And you know, that it's seems not... to be this common denominator, right? Like they just don't mimic quite well enough. Right, and that's you, that's another consistency. When you hear when you hear these imitations, they're always off. They are off. Yeah. Uh-oh. Oh, well, somebody saw us. Any any other questions, fellas? We're kind of running short on time here. I'm good. Hey, hey, Will. Okay, yeah. so one last question. Okay, is how 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 off are those um, people that when they make the, the the claims and 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 so forth? How off are they? What do you mean? What sort of claims? Well, I mean, like, like, uh, like, how off are their descriptions? Essentially, you mean when they're making Could. stuff up? Well, no, 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 or, no. Or no legitimate. Well, go. you know, when somebody, when you see something, you're 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 trying to relay it to somebody else who hasn't seen anything. So you're trying to use in your bag of tools, you know, the things that you've learned throughout your life, uh, for descriptive pieces so you're trying to get as close as you can but well, you can't always be a hundred percent you know what i mean you know yes so one of the interesting things that um I've, I, i'm even teaching in my class is that if you look at like the like the uh the image of db cooper and you listen to the secretary who was Florence uh, uh, Shredner, or, or uh, I forget her name offhand, but you listen to her response, and then you you look at the like FBI picture, what they did, 
she or actually it, it's Florence Schaffner. That, that's my that's what I'm saying. And then you look at the the FBI picture of what she said compared to what is actually probably true. And she says, Florence Shafter, she says that the image that you see on the TV, it's completely different than what she saw in person. Yeah, you, so, can, you can talk to police investigators and, and yeah. all of them will say the same yeah. thing. You know, you can talk, let's say, let's give an example. You can take the, let's say, take the still from the Patterson photo, the famous frame where the creature's turned yeah. facing the camera. Uh, show it to 10 different, 10 different people and you're going to get 10 different descriptions. Exactly, exactly. It's because that, it depends on that person's frame of reference and what they're using to help because you have an image in your mind and you're trying to convey it to somebody else's mind using all the tools you have to get as descriptive as you can. But because of those tools are all different for in each person based on your experiences and knowledge and your ability to communicate and articulate those ideas, you're going to put a different image in that person's mind. It can be close, but it's always going to be a little different. Yeah. Right. That's exactly so, Will, how, how's this? Like, when I sent you the snippet of the video, because I couldn't send a full video via where I was, how did I do describing the noise like a screeching hiss, bark, cough? And then when you viewed it and you heard it, was I close? Was I off? Was, like, is that what you... I think it's close, but again, you have to go back to what everybody's frame of reference is. You know, how does it come right. across to them? It's right. hard and to how know. is it actually recorded? Because when exactly. I was standing there, it was loud. <laughs> right. And it was definitely a vocalization yeah. that was like a hiss and a cough. It might not sound perfect on the iPhone, but I mean, you guys can take those photos and I'll send you the video, the full video via okay. email. You can dissect them. You can do whatever you want with them. Um, one thing I should caveat here is when I showed you that picture of that giant rub that was over my head, mm -hmm. and now having that happen after, I'm starting to wonder, are those, is that not a whitetail? Is that a position marker for these things? Was it scratched in by their nails as a visual? Did, I'm starting to wonder. Did you get close-up pictures of that by chance? Yeah, I did. I was standing right at the tree, and the rub was over my head. I'll and I'll send you the picture of the other rub. And yeah. the other rub, you can totally tell it's a rub. It's right at, right. Um, just above your navel I, on I mean, a tree. Cause but I, this one I took a picture of was over my head. I've got pictures of rubs, but also pictures of these things where they've used their nails to scratch and, and do a comparison. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, you can dissect them all you want. You guys can blow them up, use them for whatever. When I send you the full video, I mean, you're going to hear me cussing. You can leave it out <laughs> if you want, but, right? But you can hear my rationalization to my son. We're not speaking loud. Right. And I am wondering to myself, like, is this wild boar? Because they can be nasty. Mm -hmm. And I've got a pointy stick out of a crossbow. <laughs> it's not going to really do the job if there's four or five of these right. things. But you do whatever you guys want with those. Well, Tom, we can You're we can put people. that on the website, and people can judge for themselves. And, um, hey, don't call me any names, because then there's fighting words, and we'll be <laughs> all right. <laughs> hey, hey, before we go, I just I just want to tell Chris. I mean, such an honor to have you on our show, and all the obviously, you know, uh, you know, Tom and 
and the will, of course. So I just want to thank you so much for coming on our show. And I think that I can speak with with um, uh, Tom and Will that you can be welcome on our show anytime. Oh yeah! Oh, thank you so oh, much. Oh yeah, Chris has got a little invitation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure. Th- thank you, thank yeah. you so much. So thank you so much, Chris. Anytime. Tom, any final thoughts? Well, listen, I want to reiterate what Brian said. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, great to have you on the show. Um, and I think that's it for now. Chris, Thank anything you. final from you, buddy? Uh, no, just thanks for, you know, being friends and uh, being able to talk these things out. And, you know, I'm sure if I was to send you anything that's off kilter and you could say, no, that's definitely this, you know that you guys can tell me the truth. And I'm not going to be butthurt about saying, no, you were misidentifying <laughs> a, a common creature, right? Right, I absolutely. am totally up for skepticism <laughs> and all this stuff. And I'm the last guy that wants to say this is what I think it could be. Yeah, I think um, I think it's important we're be critical, we're honest about it, and we can hash things over. I mean, sure. we don't have to have any kind of attitudes. We say, well, let's take a look at this objectively absolutely. and what we think it is and what we think it isn't. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's what this is about, right? And it I know, is. like, Will, we've talked, you know, just on the phone the last 10 years off and on, just right. chewing stuff, chewing stuff over and seeing what's what. And I think that's really important. You know, I think uh, you guys having this show is, is is hugely important to trying to figure out anything. Absolutely. You're, you're yeah. spot on. A- absolutely. And uh, again, from me and Will and Tom, thank you so much, Chris, for coming on, because you are so important to understanding what what, what is going on. So thank you so much. Thanks so much, fellas. All right, everyone. Thanks again. Great job, guys. And uh, stay tuned for the third segment. Welcome. This is a collection of five stories being brought to you by William Jevning and being narrated by me, Jim Sower. Story number one, Can Bigfoot Be Killed? Number two, Pueblo County Sighting. Number three, Delta County, Paonia, Colorado. And number four, Bonner County, Idaho. Number five, Glimpsing the Bushman. Story number one. Can Bigfoot be killed by John Steele? There are dozens of reports that suggest perhaps Bigfoot cannot be killed, or at least not brought down by initial shots fired. In 1957, at Winoga Butte, Washington, Gary Jonas and Jim Newell were hunting and had just shot a deer. Before they could get to it, a nine-foot-tall, hairy creature walked into the clearing, picked up the deer, and carried it off under its arm. Jonas, annoyed by losing his deer, fired several shots with his .30-06 into the creature's back, but the creature never stopped walking. However, it did emit a strange whistling scream, a cry of pain. In October 1959 west of Roseburg, Oregon. Two boys, one twelve, the other seventeen, saw a Bigfoot near an abandoned sawmill. They went back with guns to look for it. It showed up, but began chasing them with its arms outstretched. Strangely enough, it never caught up with them, although it easily could have. The seventeen-year-old, reputedly a good shot, 
was able to get off several good shots with his .30-06, but the creature kept coming. However, it did fall forward onto his knuckles a couple of times. They wondered later if it was hurting them to get them away from its territory or its family or possessions. In 1965, near Falk, Arkansas, a 14-year-old named James Crabtree was squirrel hunting when he heard some horses galloping into a nearby lake. Then he heard a dog howling in pain. Investigating, he came up behind an eight-foot-tall creature covered all over with four-inch-long reddish-brown hair. It turned, and he couldn't see anything of its face other than a wide, flat nose. Everything else was covered in hair. The Bigfoot started walking towards Crabtree, who, terrified, shot it in the face three times with his shotgun. As the creature didn't seem to notice, the boy left as fast as he could. In Washington, during the summer of 1966, there were numerous sightings of a white, gray Bigfoot, eight feet tall, with red eyes, weighing at least 600 pounds and walking like a human, a group of men often went looking for it, and usually found it in a gravel pit. Roger True fired at it from a range of only 20 feet, and hit it at least three times from his 270 rifle, but didn't knock it down. Tommy Thompson fired his 10-gauge shotgun from 10 yards. He said it screamed a sort of high-pitched squeal, but the shots didn't stop it running away. In May 1967, in the Dalles, Oregon. Several teenage boys spend their nights hunting Bigfoot. One night, they were moving through the woods when they came to a tree where the branches hung to the ground. Pushing past them, they found a creature eight to ten feet away that was seven feet tall, crouched down. Dave Churchill blasted it twice in the chest with his 12-gauge shotgun, which knocked it down. It rolled over twice and then ran off. It broke through a fence, snapping three posts off at the ground. The boys returned the next day to claim their prize, but the footprints were lost after 80 to 100 yards, and there was no blood to follow. That is the end of story number one. Story number two. Pueblo County Sighting, Colorado. Summer, 2005. Pueblo County, Colorado, July 11, 2005, outdoorsman hunter Peter Ray Williams reported that he was traveling northbound on Colorado 96 past Wetmore en route to Florence when he blew a right rear tire on his truck. He stopped to change the tire, just a few yards short of the right, or east, turn to CR 389. It was about 7.50 p.m. in the evening. William stated that he was putting on the spare and dumping the blown tire into the bed of the truck when something caught his attention up the road to his right. I looked up and was shocked to see two Bigfoot-looking creatures cross the road from east to west in about three or four steps and disappear into an open field in setting sun shadows on the other side. He swears he heard them talking in a frantic kind of nattering, I looked up because I thought what I was hearing was men arguing. Just that quick, they were walking across the road. I heard these sounds, maybe talking angrily. Then they were gone. 
Williams figures they were either fleeing the fire line off to the north-northeast or were confused or displaced. He finished the tire job and drove over to the side of the road where the two left the road, but he could find nothing. Williams said they were black, both of them, one taller than the other, and the bigger one wasn't looking where it was going, but looking at the other Bigfoot with arms straight down at his sides, and the other one was gesturing, not wildly, just gesturing with his hands about something. Maybe, he said, they were arguing, but they carried on just like people do on their way to somewheres. It was really wild seeing my first Bigfoot sighting. I don't know if it was male or female. As fast as my eyes adjusted to the scene, they were gone. Man, they move, but they weren't running. We saw a couple of deer cross Road 96 earlier. There was a wildfire burning off in the distance, somewhere towards the east. William's stepdaughter, Leslie Ann Cole Marshall, formerly of Cokedale, near Trinidad, was also a witness to the event. She was inside the cab of the truck, caring for a baby. In a telephone interview, Mrs. Marshall said she thought they both were better than eight feet in height and thought they must be males. She didn't hear any sounds from them. She wasn't outside the truck, but she did hear Pete yelling at her to look at the big feet crossing the road. I already saw them by the time Pete started yelling at me, she said. I saw them coming, but thought I was seeing things. Yeah, this is like not a real happening. Who would believe this? They were both big males, I mean like two big dudes. Mrs. Marshall thought they crossed the road in about two steps. Something like this, unexpected, left me speechless. We sat there in the truck for a while and just stared off into space. I don't know about Pete, but I don't know how to process these things. It happened so fast. It's kind of surreal and like was... What was that? This is the end of reading number two. Story number three. Delta County, Peonia, Colorado. Ragged Mountains. Roughly 1977, about 28 years ago, my brothers Ollie Westland, Jay Rigdon, and a friend, Danny Daigle, were elk hunting in the ragged mountains above Peonia, Colorado, in the area of McClure Pass. Peonia State Park is to the northeast of the Great Gunnison, with the Grand Mesa National Forest setting off to the northwest. The region boasts great fishing and huge elk herds. We were hunting in a very rugged and tough terrain, and were talking and joking about how quiet and eerie it seemed in this particular area, because... It wasn't an area where we usually hunted. It was quite different because we didn't hear all the chipmunks, camp robbers, squirrels, etc., like we did in other parts of the McClure Pass area. There were few hunters in the area, too, because it was so difficult to get into. After sitting and watching a meadow in the area for a while, we decided to split up and go out and see if we could run into something. Jay went one way, Danny another, and Ollie and I yet another. Now, before I go any further, I must tell you what we found when we first arrived in the area. There was a cold campsite where someone had been camped, and they had horses with them. 
The evidence was everywhere, including a bale of hay that we saw a good 30 feet up in a spruce tree, where it looked like it had been thrown by the way the bale was broken, and the baling twine was hanging in the branches amid the hay. We thought this strange, but didn't get too excited about it at the time. Then along the trail, leading into the meadow where we had sat, approximately three-quarters of a mile from the hay in the tree, we found a large mule deer, a pretty big buck, dead beside the trail. Not at all strange in itself, however, but this deer hadn't been shot, nor had it been killed by a bear because there were neither any bullet wounds or claw or teeth marks anywhere on the carcass. But this deer had its head torn off, and its limbs were also torn off, and it was scattered around an area of about 40 to 50 feet in diameter. Strange though it was, we still weren't concerned or worried about anything. We were there to get an elk, and that was foremost on all of our minds. After splitting up, I'd say maybe an hour, my brother Ollie and I heard a couple of shots ring out up the mountain from our position, and we immediately recognized the sound of the shots as being from Danny's rifle, a thirty out six in which Danny was shooting what he called speeders, a twenty-two caliber sized bullet with a plastic casing around it to make it seat into the riflings of the barrel until the bullet clears the muzzle and then the plastic breaks away, leaving the little bullet to go on its way extremely fast, but makes the rifle have a kind of muffled report like a twenty-two magnum. So we headed in the direction of the shots, agreeing it was Danny, because if he had one down, he'd need to get it taken care of quickly, as it was almost dusk. Along the way, we saw some tracks going across a sloped meadow and up a steep hill on the other side of the meadow, and I said to my brother, that must be Danny's tracks there. Let's head up that way and follow them to Danny. When we got to the tracks, we were both dumbfounded. Neither of us spoke for a few seconds. I guess because neither one of us could believe what we were looking at. These tracks were approximately 18 inches long and 8 to 10 inches wide at the ball of the foot. I tried to step alongside of the tracks at the same stride and couldn't even come close. We thought it might be a hoax, but when we got to where they went up the steep hill that I mentioned before, there would have been no way a man with a pair of big feet strapped to his feet could have traversed this slope, and these tracks went straight up the mountain. Well, we finally found Danny, and he did have a spike down, and while helping him dress out the elk, I brought up the tracks that Ollie and I had seen earlier, and Danny looked at us as if we had seen a ghost and said, Oh my God, I saw the same tracks in a muddy creek down by the hill a little ways away. We were all a bit shaken by this discovery, especially after you factor in the deer and the hay and the rugged terrain, etc. We said that one day we were going back and we're going to try and find more evidence or better yet, maybe get some physical evidence, or even a picture of the creature. At least, some plaster casts of some of the footprints. I am truly convinced that there are Bigfoot in this area. My brothers and Danny and I are planning a trip back into the area early September 2006. Dale Westland, Salt Lake City, Utah, 
October 31st, 2005. That is the end of story number three. Story number four, Bonner County, Idaho, 1970s. My brother Jeff and I grew up in the wilds of northern Idaho, shot grouse, saw elk, moose, bear, rode our horses for miles and miles in the early 70s. We used to ride our horses up to Cindy and Wendy's place, up the creek that flowed into Rapid Lightning Creek, just about 11 miles up. One day, our horse, we were riding double, spooked and threw us off and ran back the way we had come from. We chased after the horse for a little bit, then turned around to hike back home. We came around a bend in the creek, and a big, upright, black animal was scooping up water in a creek, having a drink. We were about thirty yards from it, and we were so astonished we held our breath. It was black, graceful, two-legged, and huge. We grew up in the wilds, and to this day I still see this animal in my mind. It was not a bear, and not anything I had seen before. We never saw its eyes, just the upright form and profile. No, it was not a bear. This creature was at home on two legs. The place we saw it was so rugged, there were boulders, slippery rocks, and was where he was dipping a drink of water. When it caught a whiff of our scent and heard me gasp, it strolled off. I really mean strode off. It didn't drop down on all fours and run. It glanced at us and walked across the stream into the woods. I've had many animal encounters, but only two have stayed with me. This creature was the newest, and about four years ago, when a maroon black cat, the height of my bumper of my expedition, ran in front of me, ten feet in front, and the light hit it, and some kind of rosettes lit up, not really spotted, but splashed, with a pattern deep red, shading to black, blocky head, heavy set, long tail, I called the TXPW. They said I saw a cat. Yeah, a house cat three and a half feet tall. They thought I was drinking, but about 11 a.m. coming back from babysitting? I think not. That is the end of story number four. Story number five. Story number five. Glimpsing the Bushman. Ray Lakes north of Great Slave Lake and Yellowknife in Canada's Northwest Territories. Story by John Bernard Bourne. When I came north, I chuckled at tall tales of tall, hairy creatures until I saw something. I moved to Ray Lakes, this small, isolated community in the Northwest Territories, almost three years ago as a teacher. In the parlance of local population, I was a white man from Ontario coming to live among the aboriginals. In this case, it was a group of aboriginals I had never heard of before, the dog ribs. At the time, I looked at myself as an anthropologist going to observe a unique and isolated culture. When I arrived, I was inundated by cultural orientation. 
I listened to the stories of the elders and observed local customs. In those early days, the story that stuck out most for me was the one about the Bushman. According to the dog rib people, the Bushman is a tall, hairy creature who lurks in the bush, ready to abduct anyone traveling alone. Those who have been taken are usually never seen again, and if they are, they are found mute and mentally deranged. To an outsider, this story sounded a lot like a cross between B.C.'s Sasquatch and Eastern Canada's Wendigo. But for the dog ribs, it is something to be taken very seriously. The Bushman story aside, I tried to leap into life in this Aboriginal community by embracing all of its rituals. I joined the caribou hunt, I attended the community feasts, and I went every time there was a drum dance. Participating in the rituals was easy enough, and I took them in as one would take in the symbols of any unique tradition. Although I felt detached and out of place most of the time, I still found it interesting. The difficult part was adjusting to the challenges of everyday life. Many of the people in my village can only speak their native language, so the linguistic hurdle is the first you have to overcome. Issues of illiteracy and substance abuse could also be an obstacle. There were many times when I would forget that I was still in Canada. I lived in South Korea for a couple of years, and I found there was less cultural shock living in that faraway Asian nation than in the far north of the country I called home. And then there is the long darkness. The lack of sunlight creeps up on you at the end of October and stays until March. Although the phenomenon was fascinating, getting up and going to work in the dark proved very difficult at first. I soon began counting down the days until spring and the endless daylight that it brings. It was when the daylight was beginning to reappear that I saw the bushman. It was the middle of March, and I was driving with my wife and a friend on the winter road, the ice route that is open about six weeks every year to bring in food and supplies. We were caught in a blizzard, and our visibility had deteriorated to nothing. We were stuck on the frozen endless white of Faber Lake, halfway between Gameti and Reyedzo, which means in the middle of nowhere. It was just a flash. In fact, I would have thought it was an illusion brought on by the snow, but the two other people with me saw it as well. It was tall and hairy, running on its two hind legs. The hair was long and hung from its body in an unkempt and wild manner. It was gone before we could say anything. My friend who was driving shouted, What was that? But we all knew. We tried to push our original instinct away and rationalize it was something else. But we couldn't. When I told my friends and family in Ontario about the experience, they thought I was making it up. Or worse, they tried to logically explain it. It was probably a bear coming out of hibernation. It was only the dog rib people who did not treat the story with any type of condescension. They nodded solemnly and understood it for what it was. Shortly after, things began to make more sense to me in the community. The drum dance, which I initially perceived as being primitive and unsophisticated, became full of new meaning. I learned to drum. 
the hunt, which I had always thought was a little atavistic and barbaric, seemed almost spiritual. I became familiar with the various uses of the caribou, including the consumption of the unborn fetus by the elders, because it is soft and easy to chew when you have no teeth. This past fall, a story began circulating around our village. The wise ones were giving everybody fair warning. They had a premonition that the bushman would be abducting somebody this year. We were warned to be careful and not to go walking by ourselves into the bush. I was surprised by how I reacted. Three years ago, I would have made fun of it. Now, I just accepted the warning and kept it at the back of my mind. Logically, I know there is no bushman. It makes no sense and defies any type of scientific evidence. I know it is symbolic of other things, like loneliness and darkness one feels when living in isolation in the far north. It is a parable to understand a unique and distinct culture in the world. But I did see something on that winter road. Winter is here again, and the long darkness gives you time to think. Tales of the Bushman do not really pervade your thoughts during the time of daylight, but now they almost seem plausible. Every night when I put my baby daughter to bed, I lie beside her, singing songs and telling stories. Once she'd sleep, I used to creep quietly out of the room. Lately, however, I find myself staying longer, well after she has fallen into a deep slumber. I feel this subconscious urge to watch over her and protect her from the Bushman. Just in case. Published on McLean's Online Canada, 3rd of March, 2003. This is the end of the five stories. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J-E-V-N-I-N-G, at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open out there.